be specs, they're called, they'll be fantasy, they'll be daring do and stuff like you would never see. Hey, Nacta! Yeah, we're gonna be a movie starring everybody and me. There'll be heroes bold, there'll be comedy, and a lot of fuss that is for us so happily. Hey, Nacta! We can watch it on the Gwyneth Paltrow. Hello and welcome to this, another wonderful episode of Hey an Actor with the brothers Wilson, he's Ian the elder one and I'm Pandy the younger one. And uh, we've been ever so busy, haven't we, brother? How are you? Well, Introductory section. Yes. Um, and it's all, always good to keep our hand in. Uh, yeah. God knows what Tabhow's going to sound like when it comes back. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, I did say when, not if. <laughs> um, I was thinking about Tabhow the other day. Oh, lovely. And I can't help but think of the, the, the show Crime Traveller. <laughs> Yeah, take that, Probert. I of, know. Of all of the shows that we've covered, it's Crime Traveller that goes to Pandy's head first. Indeed. Uh, but all all the best to you, uh, Dave, because at the time of recording, he's uh, recovering from some minor surgery. Oh, no. Oh, really? Yes. Uh, oh, I hope he's all right. A um, hernia. Oh. I well, that, that's, the kids. That's, n- <laughs> that's non-elective and not nice. Oh, okay. But you know what? People going through uh, surgery, they're the real heroes, aren't they, brother? Yes. Why, the... why would you be saying that, brother? Oh, I've just had some minor surgery done. <laughs> uh, but my... I got a vasectomy. <laughs> <laughs> For those of you who were asking, uh, as of yesterday, so I'm currently on bed rest um, with a, a laptop a bit too close to my genitals for probably doctor's um, orders. Mm. Uh, but hey, my, my swimmers are drying up. Um, the, the the Wilson legacy is complete. Yeah. Um, unless you wish to have any late-breaking entries. Oh, never say never. Oh, fair enough. You know, I'm not even in my 40s yet. Y- you know what? You, you're fine. It's women that have a <laughs> biological... There's no <laughs> biological clock for me. No. Yeah. Men, men can keep spaffing until they're <laughs> till, until they're as old as Michael Burke or, or Al Pacino. <laughs> Al Pacino, absolutely, eighty-three and, years old. I and everything's fine. You know, Michael Humphreys. Michael Humphreys. Who? Who's the Radio Four guy? Humphreys. Oh, John Humphreys. John Humphreys. Yes. Yeah. Probably slightly less, but you know. Mm. But anyway, yeah, so I've taken a stand against how... <laughs> Overpopulation. Well, there's that. I wasn't planning on impregnating anybody anytime soon. But still, mm. men should get vasectomies more often. And it's here that we more start often. the Hain Actor campaign. <laughs> get vasectomies, men. Um, G- GVM. spayed or neutered. <laughs> yeah, yeah, quite. I mean... Just like feral cats, they <laughs> rat up a drain pipe, you know. Um, I and actually, prove this message. Rat up a drain pipe is quite a good metaphor for sperms up a womb. Okay, okay, um, okay. it's probably worth just 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 get it done, you know. Um, I swear we will not leave this on that late again. 
<laughs> There's a chance there's still some anaesthetics still in my system. Well, yes. Or well, to be fair, you've watched, <laughs> you've heard all the other hundred or so episodes. You know them. <laughs> Don't think about what I say. That's you know. Right. Just like that time we did an episode straight after your gallbladder being whipped out. I don't remember that. Well, we didn't actually, but oh, okay. um, but Inver Evie was only like 18 months old or something. It's, oh, less than that. Yeah, you, you would have been dog-tired. And you yeah, were. I was. Uh, and I, but still, I barely remember what happened last month. So, hey, yeah. let's start afresh every month. And see how we get on. Fanny had no recollection of being the Pandemon from uh, uh, no. Relief. I listened to that back and thought that's fucking incredible. It was really good. Who <laughs> can take a segment? <laughs> I like that it was scripted for you to basically be the Green Goblin. Uh, basically, <laughs> yeah. Evil and pretty much a plot fibbing device. The, the Pandemon. The Pandemon. Yes. Uh, uh dear. comic relief, whatever happened to that. Uh, anyway, this is Hey an Actor. Oh, yeah. A much more successful project. Um <laughs> and uh this month or this episode <laughs> months uh we are covering um actress turned weirdo Gwyneth Paltrow. <laughs> oh, am I wrong? Oh, keep your powder dry, why don't you? <laughs> Well, that's not necessarily going to have a bearing on the three films of hers that we are covering today. Fair. The main event is going to be arguably one of her earliest, or most famous early roles, um, and indeed a a towering, prominent performance uh, in Seven. And Mm. uh, before that, we are coming to the film that I had never seen before, which is Shallow Hal. Shallow hell, once a yell. Indeed. Um, but we are going to start off uh, this episode with the film that Pandy had never seen before. And brother, what is that film? That film is the revered classic Shakespeare in Love. Young Will Shakespeare is having a bad year. His last two shows flopped. Third. The theatre is about to go bankrupt. Notice will be posted! And the gangsters are moving in. The show must go on. The last thing he needs right now is a nasty case of writer's block. What's it called? Romeo and Ethel, the pirate's daughter. What is the story? Well, there's this pirate. Enter his very own Juliet. Who is she? Dream on, Will. I heard you were a poet. I was a poet till now. Shakespeare! My heart belongs to you, but I will marry Wessex a week from Saturday. She fertile? She will breed. If she do not, send her back. <laughs> they find you here, they will kill you. <laughs> For one kiss, I would defy a thousand Wessexes. Miramax Films and Universal Pictures present a truly romantic comedy of errors. That woman is a woman! The house is stirring. It is a new day. It is a new world. I will have poetry in my life and adventure and love. Gwyneth Paltrow, Joseph Fiennes, Colin Firth, Academy Award winner Jeffrey Rush. Strangely enough, it all turns out well. Academy Award winner Ben Affleck. 
What is the play and what is my part? And Academy Award nominee Judy Dench as Queen Elizabeth. She's been plucked since I saw her last, and not by you. Takes a woman to know it. Shakespeare in Love. Romeo and Juliet. Just a suggestion. Good title. Shakespeare in Love is a 1998 period comedy romance drama film um, directed by John Madden, produced by Harvey Weinstein. Uh, but it stars uh, Gwyneth Paltrow, Joseph Fiennes, Jeffrey Rush, Colin Firth, basically any actor in Britain. Uh, in 1998, worth their salt. Um, Just like Ben and Affleck. Ben Affleck as well, <laughs> yes. Um, and Martin Clunes, you know. Um, <laughs> and it's all about uh, 1593, some guy called William Shakespeare or something is trying to write some kind of Who? play or something. I don't know. Never heard of him. It just so happens that he falls in love with someone who he's not supposed to. And because of their relationship, he writes a brand new play called Romeo and Juliet. And it just so happens that what happens in their love affair, that being Will and Viola, um, who is also a boy at certain parts of this film as well, because of the patriarchy, sort of. No, not really, but you know what I mean. Uh, um, well, actually, kind yeah, of, yes. <laughs> yeah, just in a previous guise. Um yeah, their, their love is reflected in the well-known Shakespeare play and uh, hilarity ensues as they try and put on a play against all the odds and uh, maybe they're just uh, helped out by the Queen along the way. Uh, that, that's, that's where I'll set my stall out there. Possibly the worst synopsis I've ever done on Hay and Actor. Um, but, uh, brother. the first one you've ever had after your genitals have been snipped. So. <laughs> no, I can't keep using that as a crutch. You can't. <laughs> or a crutch. Hey! <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> brother, uh, your, your first time, uh, watching this was when? Um, it was at 34 Mead Vale. Okay. On the so um, basically our teen years, um, so it would be around. I'm I'm gonna say just after the millennium celebrations of around that time. Uh, the millennium I, again, because well, this came out in '98, and yeah. my recollection is that we, as a family, rented this. Okay, now, well, obviously had no interest well, in it. Well, obviously, obviously you didn't have any interest in it. I went to it. play in another room. You you very likely did. Um, but, uh, yeah, I remember watching it at home. Um, I believe a parent was behind it. Um, but if that was the case, then they might have been a bit taken aback with uh, the level of knockers. Uh, well, just one person's, but uh, rather prom- yeah, it's 1998, the same year as Titanic being big. Uh, even though that came out the previous year, anyway, um, that's <laughs> my teenage film memories. Um, but uh, watched it at boobs, home uh, because, again, as a, as a teenager, quite a lot of my history uh, studies, be they GCSE or A level, were devoted to the Tudors. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, the English department had um, amongst their staff quite a few uh, staff members who were very keen on certain films, 
Um, right. Certainly, uh, Mr. Kidd, the head of English, was uh, one of my favourite teachers and um, had recommended. I, th- I think we told Mateo um, for Heath Ledger Month that he was very big into A Knight's Tale, even though it has nothing really to do with uh, the original Chaucer source work. But, um, right. But he said, I remember putting Mr. Kidd in my, uh, like, Leavers book entry as a teacher that I really respected, yeah. but was never actually taught by. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, and uh, he's a Facebook friend of mine, actually. But, uh, oh, get in uh, touch, invite him to be a, a, a patron. <laughs> a patron. We don't have that for this nonsense. Well, Any... okay, fine, a listener. A listener, yes. yes. How uh, Mr. Yeah. Kid look? Mr. Kid, we're all grown up the... and having our testicles snipped <laughs> yeah, off. That's five years I talk about my brother's balls. Yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> so watched the film, um, came away being impressed enough with it because it was a very big deal at the time, um, particularly because uh, Gwyneth Paltrow won her Oscar for it. Way. Um, and quite famously broke down into tears. Uh, during her acceptance speech. So oh. if you hadn't heard of her before, you certainly have now. Yeah. And uh, time went by, and we picked Gwyneth Paltrow for an actor, and um, that led to my second ever rewatch, well, second ever viewing of Shakespeare in Love. Oh. And I've got to say, I really enjoy Shakespeare in Love. And okay. I think... The main thing about it is it's not a very serious film, even though it doesn't have the kind of ending that Mother would enjoy. Um, (laughs) But at the same time, I enjoy the setting, I enjoy the cast, and uh, the writing is um, basically being screen-doctored by the uh, well-known playwright Tom Stoppard, uh, who's a very witty playwright do you remember uh what year would you have been i think second year i think the year that the grammar put on a play called on the razzle uh i no i do not remember that no well i I wasn't in it because no of of course i wasn't no this is griffin directed it but (laughs) (laughs) but um but again it's tom stoppard is known for producing very good quite funny plays um, I think one of his better known works is called Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are Dead. Right. Um, which is a kind of retelling of Hamlet from the point of view of Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, who accompany Hamlet whilst he's kind of away from Elsinore for a bit. Um, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> I, so basically I enjoyed, you know, the general feel about it. Again, you have to acknowledge that there's a lot of historical anachronism, but this came out the same year as um, Elizabeth, which we covered for Kate Blanchett month, um, right down to having uh, the same actor in Geoffrey Rush in both of those films. He likes him them queens. He does, I suppose. Um, and, yeah, whilst, whilst there is anachronism, I think it's... By, because it's not portraying itself as a historically accurate film, um, because a lot about Shakespeare is kind of unknown, 
So there's a lot of artistic license with, uh, the... <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's artistic license, the movie. I suppose so. And, uh, yet, um, it turned out quite a few, um, Oscars and, uh, some really quite good performances and it's a bit over two hours long, but I think it kind of flies by. Uh, so that is me setting out my stall for Shakespeare in Love. Brother, for your first time viewing, uh, depending how long ago since, <laughs> uh, you watched it, <laughs> what do you remember thinking and what are your thoughts about Shakespeare in Love? I watched it with an air of, okay, let's see what bullshit this is. I mean, I, I'm interested about, um, how much of an effect it had on me knowing that it was produced by Harvey Weinstein. Okay. And we're living in a post-Weinstein age we where we get to look back at anything with Miramax stapled all over it and going, huh, well, okay, countdown to the tits, here we go. <laughs> and, like, they're obviously going for the Oscars and they're trying to tell this wonderful story and they're trying to exploit, 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 exploit. Um, and I saw this as, like, a really, really... British film told by Americans. Okay. Um, as in, like, everything to do with Romeo and Juliet just had to um, be kind of straight out of this love affair. There's no kind of creativity in Will Shakespeare at all. I mean, it does... Maybe that's unfair because it does say that he's looking for a muse and there's a lot of stall put in the muses uh, that Shakespeare's meant to have. He kind of has a, a certain muse who he then kind of loses to Martin Clunes of all people. <laughs> hunky, hunky Martin Clunes. Well, it was the 90s. Clunes. I suppose so. The height um, of men behaving badly. Absolutely. And Weinstein he was behaving again. badly. <laughs> Weinstein yeah. behaving badly is dark as fuck. I suppose so. <laughs> yes. I mean, to that's one of those flippant yes. quips. Yeah, no, that's, that's fair. I, I, sh- I should have thought better. No, no, no. It's, it's, anyway. So yeah, um, I, uh, as I say, I watched this kind of with, with the Weinstein stamp, which is maybe unfair because, so what end he has a hand in it, I've no idea. But I, I, I found myself feeling a little bit kind of um, uninspired by some of the the narrative choices. The fact that it is completely artistic license meant that they got to say anything, and I know that it would be interpreted by fact as facts by a lot of people, which kind of annoyed me a bit. Um, that being said, I don't think it. it sets its stall up by saying, hey, this is actually scientific or historical fact. I've got the wrong subject there. Um, based on true events. Yeah, true. No, and you know what, there might have been something of that, who knows, but I, I resent the idea that this is exactly how it plays out. But again, that's nothing to do with the film itself. I loved it for, I loved the, the, the sheer variety of 90s comedic talent from okay. most of the cast of the Fast Show. Yeah, all um, two of them. <laughs> all right, fine. Maybe there wasn't um, others. Um, I forget their names off the top of my head. There Simon was, Day and Mark Williams. There was Simon Day, there was Mark Williams. There wasn't Charlie Higson or Paul Whitehouse or Carolina Hearn or John Thompson. Arabella Weir. Arabella Weir. Yeah, fine. So I, I'm wrong in that sense, but... Uh, 
I feel like um, the, the film itself is told fairly well. It's got the kind of cliched, but I thought, uh, like, horrible misunderstanding bit where the lies are undone and everyone's meant to feel bad for a few minutes, but it all comes off exactly how... So it's, it's fairly cliched. Um, we've seen this kind of film before. What is new about it is that it's Shakespearean. Um, it's got um, a lot of funny British characters, which Hollywood really like, and they're really playing up their Britishness. Even Ben Affleck, yeah. being as British as he dare. Um, Do you think he had any idea of what uh, he was saying when he said Warwickshire shithouse? Warwickshire shithouse? <laughs> uh, I think he had... Some inkling, maybe, because he is a good actor who would e- explore the phrase Warwickshire shithouse. More um, on that next episode. Oh, but, spoilers. Uh, well, people know really. about that one. Yeah, fair, <laughs> enough. fair enough. Um, what I will say about this film um, is I think it looks amazing. Yes. Uh, I really like how they've represented medieval um, England, uh, medieval London, to be exact. It's got Shakespeare's Globe. Well, it wasn't actually called Shakespeare's Globe then. It has the Globe. It's got the streets. It's got... Um, sorry, sorry. It's got the curtain and it's got the rose. Oh, fuck off. It's the Globe. The, the Globe. <laughs> <laughs> they were all much of a much. Yeah. That is fair to say. Uh, yeah. And <laughs> they've got all the things that they need. Um, to put on a play. Um, yeah, it looks great. And I like the costuming and the set design. It's it's a well-told story. Let down a little bit by a sort of idiosyncratic, aren't we British, <laughs> kind of stamp all over it. Um, and clearly looking to get as many Oscars as possible. Which it succeeded in great measure. Yes. Okay, so... You... If if I if I can take the gist of it, and it might sound un, slightly unfair when boiled down this way, but you kind of viewed it, or at the very least, your viewing was coloured by the prism of Miramax. I think so. Which is absolutely fair on the basis that you're coming at it, looking at it from 2023, and right there, the first thing you see on screen is Miramax, 20 years of evil. Um, or, or filmmaker, one of the two. Um, but <laughs> I, I think there is a valid criticism insofar as there are certain tropes of a Miramax film that are woven into the film on the basis that Weinstein was one of the producers. Um, the fact that there was an aggressive Oscars campaign, which we can talk about towards the end of the review, uh, which paid off in spades. Um, but also, and this isn't something that really gets talked about, at least for this film, but it's, at the end of the day, an American actress in the lead role as an English noblewoman. Mm. And... If you compare it to the amount of kind of media coverage surrounding Rene Zellweger being cast as Bridget Jones. Yes. And that film was only three years later. I was say, that's within the same kind of window. Exactly. Uh, Colin Firth and all. But it's, <laughs> but it's more the fact that 
people didn't really care. And I think both Paltrow in this film and Zellweger in Bridget Jones, they had really good English accents. So I think ultimately it doesn't matter. But it is an American playing the role, which might be down to the producers. Ben Affleck is in there. And I don't think his accent's bad either. I would question the facial hair. I mean, that seems I a don't pointless. think a, a part goatee is quite accurate. What, in in the 16th century, brother? Not the way his looks, if you, <laughs> if you do a Google image search. But I would consider... And basically, they are the kind of American imports into the film. Okay, Jeffrey Rush is Australian, but, you know... <laughs> <laughs> what? Well, he is. But, you know, Australians, and, and English also, people. Also, Paltrow and Affleck were a thing at the time. Were but, they really? Uh, by and large, their two characters were, were kept apart. Like, at most, you get Affleck being pissed off with uh, Paltrow whilst dressed as a boy because um, she's doing the women's part of the dance section. Yeah. Because, you know, she's undercover. Because, going back to your patriarchy... Um, line it is true it's like there was no place in the theatre um in certainly the elizabethan period uh for women all the female roles were played by men in drag and obviously the young heroines were played by young men whose either their voices hadn't dropped or they could fine-tune their voices just so so that they could play uh, the role, which becomes a plot point right at the end of the film. <laughs> yeah, it's and, uh, Chekhov's voice break. Uh, I, I suppose, but um, moreover, it's the case of the film doesn't really play up until the very end when you need to inject a certain amount of peril on top of the doomed love aspect of the relationship. They don't implicitly talk about the risk that Viola is undertaking on the basis of dressing up as a male uh, in order to be an actor. The film mm. does not go to great lengths to say, oh no, it can't be a woman. To which I am actually kind of grateful for, because I think if it was that heavy-handed, it would be you know, one of the main plot considerations, which it kind of shouldn't be because the film is entitled Shakespeare in Love. It it <laughs> should be actually kind of spearheaded on by the relationship. And indeed it is, to the extent that the relationship is inspiring a kind of creatively bankrupt Shakespeare at this point. Uh, that is to say, writer's block. Um and it, it, he's gone from that into producing, you know, plays and certain lines and plot twists and scenes. So it's all a kind of work in progress when all of his benefactors would much prefer it to actually have been written outright. But in in that sense, Paltrow's kind of playing a dual role. She's playing um, Thomas Kent as well as uh, Viola De Lesseps, and I don't know, because, again, 
it's because of her that we're covering this film for the podcast. What did you think of her in her dual role and, you know, what what kind of qualities do you think she brought to each? I uh, applaud the way that she did it. Um, I liked, I mean, as the um, uh, Viola, as Viola, um, the actual character, she you can see the kind of frustrations of someone who really wants to be an actor. Uh, and really wants to be out there and performing and whatever. So the fact that she's then given an opportunity to play Thomas Kent, um, you know, she she goes at it. I don't think there's a huge amount of difference as to her as Thomas Kent, apart from she goes, oh yeah, ooh, sorry, like when right. she's found out to be doing something hair, slightly hair wrong. Hair and makeup, but well, there was hair and makeup as well. But in terms of how she acts, you know, it's not a huge uh, departure. They don't go to great pains of her kind of go no like a like a man defines <laughs> and she's the man it's, or um, um, the first episode of Blackadder two exactly yes <laughs> um, you know she, it, it, it's a, a device that just kind of rumbles through and it doesn't affect things too much I wouldn't say mm. um, what I will say for her as an actor though is um, across both roles that. Well, both roles, <laughs> both the things her character has to do. She's consistent. There is that kind of genuine, like, fear for what she wants to do versus what she has to do as a woman in the 16th century, about to be sold off by her husband and having to marry a very, very horrible Colin Firth. Yes. Um, you know, it, it's not a, a nice place this character finds herself in, which makes the the love that springs up between her and Shakespeare all the more pleasant to see. Um, and I do like how the the play of Romeo and Juliet has kind of been, or in this film, is kind of wrapped up with a, a love story at the same time, as in only an artwork that can stand the test of time, like... 400 years later on um, could only endure because it was written with such passion and that passion feeds into their relationship and vice versa um, the way that the the moneylender characters are kind <laughs> of roped into the, the 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 art of the situation as well, they kind of start to acknowledge that this is a beautiful work of art and you, know, you, you mentioned Paltrow's performance, I think that can only happen if you believe her as an actor in this case, her as a, a love interest in this case, and the relationship between her and Fiennes. Um, so yeah, she she does a very good job. Yeah, I think with regards to Viola, her attraction to Shakespeare is his gift with poetry and his way of words. And even though we see him at the start of the play uh the play uh the, the start of the film <laughs> with uh writer's block as such she you know before she's even on screen she is a fan of his work because she is very attuned to the lingo uh, of the time and i think you see it most when she's dressed up as kent uh on the boat um, with Shakespeare before Shakespeare learns of her true identity and the fact that it's not a case that she's lusting after him as a person, although it's, it's not to say Joseph 
Vines is a, a bad-looking man, uh, particularly compared to uh, some of the other men in the uh, in, in the company. <laughs> it should be said, um, but I think it's more that what he can offer. To, it's not just the case of she hates the rich person she has to marry and would much rather f- fall for a poor man. It is that, but at the same time, it's more for his gifts and his understanding of love, which Colin Firth's Lord Wessex uh, simply doesn't have. Um, You can see him unsmiling um, at the first scene where we see uh, Queen Elizabeth, um, where a review is being put on for her with um, some of Shakespeare's work being performed. And... Just in general, the fact that he he's not a very patient man and is a, a a fairly typical member of the upper class who sees women as chattels. The marriage is one of negotiation with her father, so that ostensibly it can secure his his own fortune and property or, or what what have you so um yeah I, th- I think that's what kind of drives the film forward and i like the conceit of the tribulations facing the starstruck lovers um of will and viola it then plays into what happens to romeo and juliet but heightened uh, for dramatic effect. And something that you yeah. brought up uh, really hit home to me was the fact that it needed, there needed to be something special about the work to kind of explain whilst, why it's being taught in schools 400 years later. Like what sets yeah. it apart from other people? Because we see earlier on in the film, the fact that it was going to be a comedy called Romeo and Ethel, the pirate's daughter. And <laughs> the contrast of how shit an idea this is um, comes up when we meet uh, the rival playwright, uh, Christopher Marlowe, as played by Rupert Everett. Yeah, I had not heard much about Kit Marlowe. Yeah, well, Marlowe was a real-life contemporary of Shakespeare. Yeah, I read and, into his Wikipedia entry a little bit. Yeah, and it, it's it's true that Marlowe was murdered um, by getting a dagger through the eye. Um, so obviously, how it weaves into this story is somewhat fictionalised, and there's an, an interesting kind of brief whodunit. Of, oh my God, did Wessex have him murdered? Oh, no, you didn't. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, Will Shakespeare uses Marlowe as a pseudonym. He does. And that's why he might be dead. But no, yes. not really. Well, feels guilty when the actual Mar- Marlowe does die because he's just like, oh, did I lead him to his own doom? Mm. Um, <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, so, Paltrow, I can see why she's top build Miramax aside because... I don't think, and I, we can come to this later when we're going for a filmography, but I can't think of many films before this where she had top billing. And she is the kind of through line, even though, if, if only because it's 
her coming into Shakespeare's life that inspires the events of the film to kick on. Otherwise, it'd be just like, well, it's called Shakespeare in Love. The main character is Shakespeare. Why is it not Joseph Fiennes who has top billing? <laughs> Joseph Fiennes doesn't even have top billing in his own family. So, uh, you know, not not to be too precious Poor about it. Joseph Fiennes. I, I, mean, mean, I think Joseph Fiennes is great in this film. Oh, uh, yeah. I did kind of have a moment of, why have I not seen, seen this guy in more films? Holy shit, he's the son of Ray Fiennes? I mean, the brother of no, Ray no. Fiennes? Wow. Yes. And, you know, it was a, a nice moment of, I did recognise that mouth. Ah, <laughs> yes, of course. It's a fines. It looked like that dog that someone paid a lot of money to make. <laughs> it looks so very fine. It's anyway. an improvement on the original. <laughs> uh, I mean, the, the the film's not called Shakespeare Writes a Play. It's called Shakespeare in Love. And yes. who is everyone knows who Shakespeare is, but people would not know about this fictional viola. Um, who is the the person who creates, uh, according to Miramax, the play Romeo and Juliet? And well, yes, because he's fictional, it, indeed. Um. But also, then, <laughs> what I do like about the endings, yeah, it's not a very happy ending, um, mm. but I do like how it then it, it kind of it leads into the the next play of his, Twelfth Night, um, and it's kind of how it's about a character going on a long journey and. Um, and there's, there's hope for this woman kind of finding herself in a new situation. And that's what he really hopes for, uh, for this character. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's, I, I like how they do hit historical beats in and around the blatant artistic license. I think they do credit to the story, uh, or do credit to the history through the storytelling. Um, you know, if, if, Queen Elizabeth popped along and said, "Oh my, I think I think you're you're going to be called uh, William Shakespeare from now on. Ha ha ha! Come, <laughs> come to the palace and tell me all of your like. They just dot things in and out. Um, now the idea of Queen Elizabeth. Um, did I say Queen Victoria earlier? By the way, no, I think you said Elizabeth. Oh, well, that's good. I don't remember. I've got, I'm on Paris. I I understand um, why. Yeah. In that for Judy Dench month, we did cover the film Victoria. She does like playing queens. That or Mrs. Dame. Brown, I should say. Yeah, I suppose so. Well, I, I remember uh, around the time uh, there was a French and Saunders sketch, which opens with them in costume as if they've just come from the film, and Dawn French yells. Who does Judy Dench think she is? The bloody queen? <laughs> oh, it was the 90s. Dawn French was funny then. Yeah. yeah. She's still hilarious now, isn't she? I have no idea. Uh, possibly. Maybe. She'll go, ah, Lenny Henry was a shit, wasn't he? Ha 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 I've written another book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Judy Dench. And that's uh, joined... what I have to say on Dawn French. <laughs> Who wasn't in I'll this be film. taking no further questions. <laughs> Good. <laughs> uh, like Gwyneth Paltrow, Judy Dench uh, won an Oscar. Um, yeah. What did you that... think of her as Elizabeth the First? I mean, we did joke about, or there is the running joke that she's in it for about five minutes and wins an Oscar. Um, but actually, she was in there longer than I thought she would be. Yeah. Um, even if it is only like two or three bits. I she's, yeah, I'd she's say... there at the review at the beginning. Yeah, she's there later on when a bet is made, and then yeah. she's there at the end um, to kind of wrap everything in a yeah. nice little Deus Ex Queen in her. There's one um, inside the curtain theatre. 
And uh, another outside the curtain theatre. Oh, four scenes. So four then. scenes. Great. Really owning her. <laughs> no, I think she did well about, I mean, the, the character of Queen Elizabeth I is um, quite an odd one. Because by our standards, how she was made to look, uh, when she was meant to be the heightened beauty of the day with her white skin and her <laughs> her head shaved. I mean, her hairline looks very similar to mine right now with my headphones on. Well, I mean, um, she. this is set in 1593. Are you so, saying that I'm beautiful if I'm in 1593? Sure. Um, moreover, I'm saying it was ten years before she died. Um, so this was very. Judy late Dench's died before Elizabeth the first died. Oh, of course. Fine. Uh, what I'm trying to say is, this is when she was a woman I in her. I do believe she uh, she was born in the 1530s, so she would have been around 60 years old, and so Judy Dench is pretty good casting. Fair enough, and she's there kind of chuckling away whilst eating stuff. Yes, um, like she's in Minas Tirith. Um, it's a Lord of the Rings joke. Anyway, um, she's, um, yeah, I think she does well in this film. I like the the whole kind of, I happen to know something of a woman in a man's job. Kind yeah. Of like, yeah, I'm a queen when really kings are what people really want, but you're a woman actor when people want... Uh. Except she, uh, very slyly, um, when that whole reveal is going on, it's yes. just like... Oh, I can see. It's very, very good and convincing uh, makeup and costuming, Mr. Kent. I understand why you made that mistake, Simon Callow. Yeah. Callow, you shit. Very, very good, Mr. Ventura. Good. Um, yeah, he's in full arch-evil mode. I do like to see Simon Callow in things. Well, we get to see him rutting right at the beginning, which is quite funny because um, Simon Callow bats for the other team. <laughs> yeah, how funny to see a, 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 a gay man act straight. Well, almost as if we've it's seen not so gay much a men gay man act... acting straight as a gay man <laughs> taking Rosaline from behind. Uh, yes. I mean, we watched Brokeback Mountain, and both those dudes are straight, so you know, it's it's rare, that's but it slight, happens. That's slightly different, though. How? Two straight men playing gay lovers to a gay man playing a straight man having sex with a woman. Yes. Yes. They are both not... The preferred in, in any case, Simon Callow, probably the secondary antagonist after uh, Colin Firth. You know, there are quite a lot of antagonists in this film. There's uh, Colin Firth. At yeah. some points, for, for a large part of it, um, Martin Clunes is as well. And, and he, Christopher Marlowe is sort of an antagonist, as in the kind of joshing contemporaries, not out and out at each other's throats, but they're clearly not friendly to each other or could be He's a rival. to each other. Yeah. Um, th there's a lot of things going against, you know, Will Shakespeare and his merry band. I mean, um, Tom Wilkinson spends the first half yes. of the film as an arsehole. Yeah. And, and then, then he, 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 he has an arc. He does. <laughs> and into it, he fits two of every animal. I mean, it. I, I think there's a, a very subtle comedy duo between Wilkinson and Jeffrey Rush. Because yes. Wilkinson quite literally holds Rush's feet to the fire. 
<laughs> um, and this is what causes Rush to, um, as Philip Henslow, uh, to particularly get on Shakespeare's case as to, come on, we need something quickly. And um, basically it is the overpowering allure of a role on stage that uh, turns Tom Wilkinson's character face. So that's good. After a massive sword fight brought Hooray! about by Martin Clunes. What fun. So, indeed. Um, so I think we've touched on most of the cast. I mean, Imelda Staunton's there as Gwyneth Paltrow's nurse. Yes. Um, you have the, uh, the late Anthony Cher as the apocryphy, um, at the beginning because, of course, people had psychiatrists in the Tudor times. Of course <laughs> they did. <laughs> and you've got the butler from Downton Abbey as the homely nurse. Ha <laughs> ha. Mm. That's funny. Yikes. What did you think about the 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 way that famous Shakespeare lines are kind of extracted from the quote unquote real life? Do you I, think I it guess. was forced or? I think the way naturally? it was directed made it feel feel less forced. Okay, it's like the idea that Shakespeare has a musical ear for the language around him. I think works. It's not like the like because <laughs> I mean there's a doomsaying priest at the beginning yeah. saying something that then gets used in a Shakespeare play and I'm pretty sure when Wessex is pointing at Shakespeare in the church thinking that he's the ghost of Marlowe I'm pretty sure he uses words that are then reused later in Hamlet <laughs> but Moreover, I, I like the idea, I, and it's moreover, it's not a case of there's a record stretch and <laughs> uh, Shakespeare taking out his quill says, I'll have that. Um, <laughs> I'll keep that one in mind. <laughs> so I think the way the film is directed means that that stuff doesn't jar. At the same time, it's obviously an anachronism because yeah. there's absolutely no way we could ever know how those lines... I mean, there's a lot of Shakespeare truthers nowadays thinking that Shakespeare either never existed or existed as a uh, a commune of several playwrights or something oh, like fuck that. fuck off. I'm... <laughs> fuck off with you. Be, let, there's quite go. a few respected actors who think that as it happens. Really? I'm not going to go into it here. Oh, but... who cares, honestly? I know. Um, interestingly, and... Because obviously it's a sliding doors moment and we can never know what might have happened uh, beforehand. But this was a film project uh, before Miramax got involved. Oh. It was going to happen about six, seven years earlier at Universal. Right. Um, with one of the producers set to direct um, using Stoppard's uh, script. Um, with uh, Julia Roberts in the Viola role. Oh, no, no. Well, that's the thing. So she... No, I can't see it. She withdrew from the film six weeks before it was due to begin. They hadn't really cast Shakespeare, even though um, people... It's kind who, of important. Well, people who were up for the role include Colin Firth. Right. And naturally, where Colin Firth uh, is around. Hugh Grant follows. 
Uh, also, Rafe finds. Oh, uh, oh. Jeremy Northam. Who? It, well, well. And, uh, also, uh, Rupert Graves, who, um, again, the, with the Colin, F- oh no, uh, Rupert Graves, sorry, he was, um, Lestrade. Um, oh, in Sherlock. Yeah, yeah. I started rewatching that recently. Oh, good. Um, having said that, I watched one episode and then forgot to watch any more. <laughs> the first one, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, I'd, I'd watched the first one like three times. Oh, okay. So I watched the second one, which is almost universally hated. Yeah, I think, yeah. Yeah. It's racist. <laughs> and uh, Sean Bean as well. Oh, bastard. Can you imagine Sean Bean as Shakespeare? <laughs> Bloody hell. I can't write a bastard play. <laughs> I was like, it's not Richard Armitage, is he? You can barely write an O2 jingle. <laughs> so, ultimate, Be more Romeo. Ultimately, the film didn't uh, come together and uh, got cancelled. Good. Uh, Good. So uh, it then got picked up by Miramax and uh, the rest is history. So, yeah. Um, but it came out to a good deal of acclaim. Um, it was a big financial success. Huge. Uh, budget was 25 million. It made 289.3 million dollars. Ten times its budget back. And as we've uh, previously stated, it won a lot of Oscars. Indeed. Now. Are you, and this goes back into the Miramax thing. Okay. Um, it was quite a competitive year, uh, that particular year of the Oscars. And, um, to this day, and because Weinstein was well known to campaign heavily for films that he wanted to win Oscars, mm. which kind of informs like the choice of, films that he he goes after like i I don't know for cider house rules anyone oh yeah yeah um but i remember that vividly we watched it on your 30th birthday (laughs) god yeah Uh, there goes one of the uh trivia questions for the 100 episode quiz (laughs) never mind um but uh the the controversy really was that shakespeare in love won best picture when apparently there was a film that a lot of people preferred, but just enough people tipped the Best Picture Oscar in the favour of Shakespeare in Love. And that particular film is a film we covered previously. Um, Have you seen it, or shall we do a kind of mini Oscar game with it? Oh, I've, I've literally just looked it up while you were talking. It, so for are our, you talking about Elizabeth or Saving Private Ryan? For our Tom Hanks month, uh, Saving Private Ryan. Well... And this is where your flick chart criticism is kind of sort of justified. Because how the... It's f- kind of sort of, it's completely fu- justified. Well, how the fuck do you compare Saving Private Ryan to Shakespeare in Love? I know, that's my point. <laughs> well, you, How you, do you prefer Muppets in Space <laughs> against Debbie Does Dallas? You use a, a, a fair deal of Matrix of Criteria as to what you prefer. But ultimately, um, it, as I say, it was a very competitive year. And especially now in hindsight, Weinstein's picture, especially because it was a comedy... And usually Best Picture Oscars don't go to comedies. I'm not saying that's right. It's just something that has been the case um, 
up until that point. Uh, Spielberg just had to console himself and weep into his best director Oscar instead. <laughs> so, poor, poor guy, guy <laughs> indeed. Um, and, do you want to play the Oscar game with uh, Gwyneth Paltrow's um, best? Actress? I think because it's her best Oscar. actress Oscar, let's let's do it for that. Okay. Um, so it's nineteen ninety-eight. Right. Okay. She, she won, won yeah. in Shakespeare in Love. I have to assume that Blanchett for Elizabeth was one of them. Correct. Um, Three to go. of women in Saving Private Ryan. True. I know it was the year of Life is Beautiful, which is where Robert... Yeah. Okay. So three more. Three more. I would say that of those three, one is a standout name who I believe we did an episode on, though I can't quite remember. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um... <laughs> I would say she's very versatile. Uh, Streep. Yes. How can you forget we've done a Streep episode? Did we? I don't know. Mamma Mia. That was for her, was Out it? of Africa. I th- oh, yes, of course. How could I forget I think Kramer versus Kramer. Yeah, I wasn't sure if that was her oh, or Hoffman. Um, Hoffman. Hoffman. Because Hoffman was the month before. Uh... And arguably he's in Kramer versus Kramer a lot more. Um, not even arguably, he is. But yeah. uh, there we go. More, anyway, more on that later so there's, with there's, seven. Um, there's two more names. <laughs> uh, I've never heard of these people before, so if I give you the film, okay. you could go for their names. Yeah, sure. I'll start with the the more recognisable one. Uh, the film called Hillary and Jackie. Ah, um, that was about sisters. One of them's a cellist. Um, that was Emily Watson. Yes. Do you re- do you impressed. remember I- Equilibrium? Yes. It, it, that's uh, Emily Watson. No, it's Christian Bale. No. <laughs> Okay. Um, what's the other and film? The other, the other film is called Central Station. Oh, I don't know that one. It's a Brazilian film. Uh, Fernanda Montenegro. Oh, good for her. So, yes. um, yeah, lovely stuff. So, that was Shakespeare in Love. Yeah. So, are you glad you've seen it? I, yeah, I think, um, it's definitely worth a watch. Uh, and I'm glad that I have seen it, yes. Um, if for no other reason that I can, you know, I can swing my Miramax dick around and <laughs> and say yes. I too have watched Shakespeare in Love. I don't say you've the got a hell. Am I talking? You've about? got a fairly one-track mind at the moment, although I can understand I given, why, given the circumstances. It feels like I've been kicked in the nuts five <laughs> minutes ago, constantly. Like it's not really sharp, but it's just kind of oh, it's still there. Ooh. Right. But still, get get your vasectomy now, <laughs> and tell them Pandy sent you. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, in, in you've sold it so well. <laughs> I mean, you know, I will be in pain for a week or so. After that, I will have no children. No more children. No more. Well, oh no! <laughs> There's your outtake. I, I did see that as anyway. a joke. <laughs> 
I did see that as a joke about like I went to the doctor and said I'd have if I'd have a sex with me, I wouldn't have any children anymore. And I went home and the bastards are still there. Hey. And on we go to the film I'd not seen before, Shallow Hal. Every man has a dream. Every man has a fantasy. Every man has an image of the perfect woman. When are you going to get it? What are you talking about? It never occurred to you that picking girls solely on their looks may not be the best way to go about it? But one man is about to get a whole new perspective. Hal Larson, I'm going to do you a great favor. Really? From this moment on, whenever you meet someone in the future, you're only going to see the inner beauty. What are you doing? I am rescuing you. From what? From what? This fall... I gave him the ability to see the inner beauty, their heart, their soul. He hypnotized you. You're saying that all the pretty girls I've met lately aren't really pretty. Hal Larson is dating a vision only he can see. Oh, there she is. There's Rosemary. Where? Right there. Is she behind the rhino? 20th Century Fox presents... Haven't you ever heard the phrase that beauty is in the eye of the beholder? Have you heard the song, Who Let the Dogs Out? Gwyneth Paltrow. Oh. Jack Black. Are you okay? Brain freeze. Jason Alexander. I don't want anything to do with you, you little warthog. Shh. You had me at Get Lost. In the comedy of gigantic proportions. What is that? You want to see a splash? I'm going to show you a splash. Ready? Hey, Billy, stay over near the ladder. Shallow Hal. Billy? Billy? Daddy! Daddy! Shallow Hal is a 2001 uh, romantic comedy from the Farrelly Brothers. That tells you everything you need to know. Really. Hey. Uh, it stars Gwyneth Paltrow, Jack Black, and from Muppets Tonight, Jason Alexander. <laughs> and Dunstan checks in. Oh, well, naturally. So um, it tells the story about how uh, Hal Larson, as played by Jack Black, um, only goes after beautiful women because he's only attracted to them uh, on account of being somewhat shallow, and um, as such, uh, he doesn't look for people a bit more in his league who... He's basically missing out on people by having such lofty expectations when, ultimately, he's Jack Black. And so um, he meets, um, apparently, a real, actual-life coach from America called Tony Robbins, Um who hypnotises him into seeing only someone with inner beauty, and uh, therefore he comes across a beautiful woman called Rosemary, uh, but it turns out he's only seeing the inner beauty of Rosemary. Everyone else can see a morbidly obese woman. And... Um, they basically start a relationship once... Um, it shows that 
Hal's actually a nice person when he sees the inner beauty, rather being kind of uh, not having a facade that kind of stops him being instantly turned off. But ultimately, his best friend Mauricio, who was played by Jason Alexander, uh, spoils things as though it were Pretty Woman. And um, uh, the, the spell is lifted from Hal, and Hal becomes very much aware of who he is actually dating, and uh, fallout ensues. So um, that's basically the main plot. Uh, there's subplots with regards to his neighbour kind of deciding that she likes him and uh yeah, the peace corps but um <laughs> that's that's long and short of it so um it's been my time first time watching shallow hell brother you'd seen it before when where and why uh i believe it was one of those rented films from odeby library uh oh, okay. previously mentioned i remember me and claire watching it uh, at some points, just because you know, Jack like Black a very was big Claire film. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was kind of a a funny comedy thing. Um, Jack Black was a funny man. Um, that being said, I'm not really sure where I would have seen him already because I know he was in High Fidelity, but I don't think we'd seen him by that point. Um, I mean, this came out the year before Tenacious D was kind of on our radar. Yeah. Um, Still, that, that doesn't factor in. But hey, we watched okay. it. We definitely watched yeah. it. And I remember thinking it was very funny. I remember seeing the famous um, kind of trailer bits where you know Gwyneth Paltrow jumps into the pool. Skinny Gwyneth Paltrow making a huge, gigantic splash. Yeah. Um, leading to a child being in a tree. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> or like when they're canoeing and, you know, Jack Black's really high in the water because that's how boats work. Um <laughs> Yeah, little things like that. I remember seeing them think, "Yeah, they're, they're, this is clever. This is funny. They've kind of taken the situation and made a funny film." And yeah, I watched it um, earlier this year with uh, 2023 eyes. This film has aged like milk. Uh, mm. Oh my good god! It's. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll say good things about it in a minute. But the idea of beauty only being like it has this weird mixed message about like beauty only being skin deep but rewarding that with skin deep beauty where like this this kind-hearted person looks absolutely stunning and anyone who's not really nice looks quote-unquote ugly it really blurs lines over what is meant to be attractive and what's not meant to be attractive and i guess that does kind of tie into the character of hal and what he finds yeah beautiful um and there is a there's a sub thing about you know his his the very first thing you see in the film is Hal's father dying and being kind of really whacked out on like pain relief and really screwing his son in the head with his final words, which is kind of factored into this this uh, quest for ultimate beauty and finding somebody who is um, good enough or just smoking hot in in his own eyes. Um, and anyone less than that is is not worth looking at, despite the fact that Jack Black, despite being a lovely guy and very funny, ain't like your typical kind of beautiful man. But the yeah. film very much plays off that. Um, but yeah, the, the, the fact that nice people look like traditionally gorgeous and traditionally gorgeous looking people are actually ugly on the inside is and this is all with heavy inverted commas around the words beautiful and ugly. Um, I found it quite uncomfortable watching 
this time around because it objectifies people whilst p- trying to um, portray or have some sort of value in being nice at the same time. That being said, the fact that Jack Black is still likable throughout the entire film um, despite these weird mixed messages and so on, I think really place the strengths of Jack Black um, as a, a, a... This is this kind of first film where he's a lead actor. Um, yeah, yeah. And he, he's kind of carrying this film. It's, he's the titular Hal. And he, by all rights, you should hate this guy um, for being shallow and for being a bit of a twat and... Um, uh, oh, what's the word? Inconsiderate. Um, or, or, or self-obsessed to the point of really alienating a lot of people. But you do like him, despite him being a bit like that. There's, there's things in the script to explain away his weird obsession with beauty. Um, Gwyneth Paltrow as, um, Rose, I really like her as a character. You kind of get to see someone plagued with self-doubt and uh, worried about their lot in life or how people see about them, but still with a kind of fire and a sort of self-confidence um, to, to a certain point, but obviously then gets affected by comments about their weight, even though in Jack Black's eyes, wow, how on earth could you be saying these things? Because you're thin and you're beautiful and that's why I find you attractive. Ha 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 ha. There are... A very small amount of shots towards the end of the film where you see what Rosemary is meant to look like and Gwyneth Paltrow is wearing a, a quote-unquote fat suit. Yeah. Um, and it, the, the makeups haven't aged brilliantly. Um, no. No. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, I basically what I'm saying is in a film which has aged really, really badly, there's a lot to commend about... Jack Black's performance and Gwyneth Paltrow's performance, but ultimately this is this is pretty bad. <laughs> but it's aged terribly. But yeah, what was your thinking of the first time watching Shallow Hell? I will say, I think in three years, the Farrelly brothers have come a long way from making their something about Mary, because I think. This film has had the benefit of a few new, few more script drafts to stop right. it being something that is just a gross-out comedy. Oh, yeah, it's definitely more than just your, your gross-out comedy. Yeah. It's got elements of the gross-out. Oh, yeah. And I think it's mixing them with uh, kind of values and the fact that the values are all warped plaintiff's yes. detriment. So I think what it is is... They're, ch- they're not entirely sure what the message is. There's a basic message of looking at someone's inner beauty and then they're thinking, how can we make a comedy film around it? Mm. And it isn't completely mean-spirited. Therefore, it isn't as bad and as, you know... I mean, if it had been, then it would have e- aged even worse, I, th- I feel. I think because you don't... Because being shallow isn't necessarily the worst thing ever, it's not like Hal has been struck down with a curse a la, I don't know, the beast in Beauty and the Beast. It's not a punishment 
as such. It's um, some kind of weird hypnosis that a guy has just decided to give to him. Mm. Without saying that he's going to do it beforehand, or threatening to on the basis of seeing Hal being reprehensible, or anything like that. So, it's not your standard morality play. So, it takes the Jason Alexander character being on hand to, you know, unravel that aspect of the plot. And then it's down to him to kind of undo the damage in his eyes. And then Hal gets very pissy once he learns the truth, because he was kind of enjoying what had been bestowed upon him. And now... He was he was kind of ghosting Rosemary after it's taken off. I'm not going to go further than that because anything after that would be properly spoilers. Well, I suppose I've done a little bit there, but it's Shallow Hal from 2001. <laughs> um, so I I don't know the message that it's necessarily trying to convey because when. Hal goes back to being shallow, it's a case of, he knows he is, and he doesn't want to be, but he can't fight it, and then he can, because of feeling, like, really bad and guilty and everything, for something that hadn't even necessarily been put on it, well, he hadn't asked for in the first place, so it's a very confused message, And I don't think the Farrelly brothers are the right people (laughs) to get down into the nuance and complexity of what they were trying to say without perhaps making Hal a worse person who needs to be redeemed. Hmm. If you see what I'm getting at. I, I, yeah. Because the other thing is, it's, Jason Alexander's almost doing a retread of his pretty woman role. Almost, yeah. Except when he's kind of inadvertently breaking... Well, when he's breaking up the central romantic pairing, in Pretty Woman he does it with malice and then goes on to threaten physical violence. Mm. Whereas here, he he's doing it out of a place of concern... And then drills down into why emotionally, you know, he did it from his perspective. For a reason that is typically Farrelly Brothers. But, um, but yeah. Uh, So it's a very confused film. So I think it really kind of boils down as to how charming you find Jack Black driving the film. And how good a job you think Paltrow does as pulling off, again, a dual role. Mm. Um, but th- at this point, you know, she's three years on from winning an Oscar. You know, she's got her pick of all her films, and she's gone for this really broad comedy, which yeah. I, I suppose is to be applauded, because it's, go- <laughs> it's going way out of her wheelhouse and her comfort zone. Um, so obviously... Years gone by, she uh, looks back on it, <laughs> thinking, hmm, maybe, maybe shouldn't have. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I mean, ultimately, you, you could, 
I understand what they were going for, but they didn't particularly pull it off. But at the same time, it's not an irredeemable film by any stretch. I would rather rewatch this than There's Something About Mary. Mm. Um, oh, absolutely, yes. And I, yeah, I, I think it, it's, it, it, it holds up on the performances of the two leads. But whilst, whilst I've just said I'd rewatch it over There's Something About Mary, I'm not in any rush to watch either of those two again. And <laughs> uh, in, in fact, I'm, I'm dreading rewatching Dumb and Dumber. To be honest, but uh, I well, bear in mind I haven't seen that too film long. since the nineties. So yeah, I think I've seen it more recently. But yeah, I I think you're right. I think we we've kind of touched on most of the main problems. I think something to add to the problems would be that this was a film made in two thousand one. Yes, and. Of movies of that ilk or in that area are fairly insensitive to certain areas. And there are a couple of things I want to highlight as being big no-nos or big oops or oofses. Uh, one being the, the, the character of Tiffany, the, uh, the waitress come hostess of the, the restaurant where Hal and Rose have, uh, dinner. Uh, this is before and after Hal has his power taken away. Um, where behind the bar is this gorgeous woman called Tiffany, and he's very attracted to her, and then has a phone call where the power is undone, oh, yes. and uh, oh, it's a man in drag, and he's yeah. he a man in drag. He's horrified that it could be, the, yeah. It was a bit of a weird moment of maybe this is. I mean, by the film's own logic, this is a really nice person. This is a kind-hearted, lovely person because she looked quote-unquote gorgeous. Um, but now it's a dude, and oh my god, ah, oh, this character is irredeemable now because it's a man in a dress. Yeah, yikes, 2001. Thank you very much for that one. Um, the other one that kind of puts me a little bit on edge, but maybe less so, and it is kind of handled a little bit nicer, is the Burns Unit kids. Yes. Um, where. They go to this hospital unit and Hal's under the spell and he's hanging out with the kids and they're all very happy and he's saying lovely stuff about, oh, you could be a supermodel and la la. That's not my problem. My problem is then he then returns to the hospital having had the gift back and they're exactly the same but with Burns makeup. And I think you only see the one child with Burns it's makeup. It's just the, the girl Cadence, I believe. Yeah. And there is a moment of him kind of going, you're still gorgeous, or not, not still gorgeous, but like him, he kind of realizes something, yeah. or it's a bit of a learning moment for him. Yeah. But I did take a little bit of issue with using a Burns victim to help this character go through a growth moment. It was a little Is it bit. Potentially because they're a child. Yeah, and, you know, it's kind of applying the, these, these kind of. Um, and I, I, I can't remember exact wording of the spell. I mean, the spell was put on him to help him find a, a life partner, and then he's seeing children look lovely. I don't remember I don't there lo- being wording, to be honest. 
I think he just well, like puts his hand on his head or something. There was, there was something. I mean, the, the reason of the spell, or that he, he like his own reasoning is he's only going to see the inner beauty to help him find a mate. And I'm not kind of saying that like by doing this they've turned Hal into a predator because he's finding children attractive. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is that the kind of the idea of applying this magic to children or the the burns victims being ugly or uh, it it it's a little bit yikes i mean it, it plays into the wider point about quote unquote beauty and the idea of these people not being beautiful because they've had you know, burns across their face and maybe this is me reading too much into it but it ultimately left me feeling a little bit icky I think it's, uh, with how the film ends yeah i think it's slightly weird that everyone because if, if i'm correctly picking up on what you're saying it's like the film suggests that people the only people with inner beauty or the large majority of people with inner beauty are actually ugly people yes which is yes. a very weird lesson I mean, that's what it's sort of implying. It's like the anti-Mrs. Twit thing, isn't it? I guess yeah. so, yeah. I mean, like, he meets somebody early doors who he finds gorgeous and is in town visiting her grandma, and then he sees her again, and they've clearly used a different actress, but they've also kind of affected her to make her not as attractive as she might be normally. Yeah. And it's just a, a, it's a weird thing about, like... The only way you can be good is be by being ugly, but your reward for being ugly in this film is looking gorgeous, according to the Farrelly brothers. It's ah, oh. but that being said, that kind of surprises me even more as to why I really enjoyed Hal Larson and and Gwyneth Paltrow as and and the things that they do together. It's got heart in it. Yes, it's just really shit at using it. <laughs> um, I mean, in terms of the chemistry. I, I, th- I think one one of the scenes that best kind of exemplified the the kind of inherent problem with the film, but one that kind of lends itself to the de- the device of the film is when she's stripping off before they have sex for the first time, and she like throws her pants at him. And he catches like this giant pair. <laughs> He's just like, <laughs> yeah. How the hell did you do that? <laughs> Come to bed, Houdini. <laughs> um, yeah, because there is certain, there's more than a few reasons why the film wouldn't work, even if the corporate <laughs> premise um, held up. Um, but you know, I it's at the end of the day, you don't go into a Farrelly Brothers film expecting high art. Which is what made the success of Green Book even more surprising. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I agree. I think because Jack Black gives it his all um, with regards to this being like a starring role for him, with which to build his career upon, um, he shows off his immense likability, which again, uh, it kind of undercuts the the idea of the morality play but again i think that's more a problem with how the film's written rather than anything to do with black himself and again i think paltrow 
again, as a naturally very attractive woman, um, she's, she, she's obviously radiant on screen, but then also she has to play the character with crippling self-doubt throughout the film. Yeah. So apart from at some moments where she's like, you know, joking around with people or hanging out with friends who she knows and yeah. loves. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So, so it's, it's interesting, uh, to, to that extent. Um, it's possibly telling that she didn't do a lot of broad comedies throughout her career. Um, I think the next one that she did was, uh, Mordecai. Um, after, <laughs> after which she stopped acting, uh, if it wasn't a Marvel film. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, I don't honestly have a lot more to say about it. I mean, it, in part it's because it's one of those comedy films where you can't just go through joke after joke or you can't go through everything or, or you'll spoil it. But then also there's only really three main actors to talk about and... What do you mean? You don't, you don't want to talk about Lee Boy? Not particularly. <laughs> Fair enough. Do you? No. no. <laughs> I mean, KG's in this film. That's true. He is. Yeah. Uh, with his with Black's um, girlfriend of the time, I, I did read that as a, a um, uh, extra little snippet of information thing that Kyle and the person he was with is was his girlfriend at the time. I don't know whether they then married or whether that was a different girlfriend. I don't know. Oh, right. But uh, that was a little nugget of information. That's, yes. A little snippet. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, Tony Robbins? Never heard of Tony Robbins. No, I hadn't either. And then kind of clicked on his Wikipedia. And oh, yes, lots of people know and love Tim, Tony Robbins. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, Tim, Tim, Tim Robbins. Robbins is a bit more... Fuck that guy. Back into Shawshank. <laughs> Uh, I think you'll find Team America dealt with him. That's fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, well, I'll, I'll scrabble around for something to say then. Um, I think, uh, I think the legacy of this film is poor. Um, I know that you said that, um, Gordon Paltrow wasn't very happy to have been in the film or looked back on it and gone, <laughs> Um, I did read that um, Gwyneth Paltrow did learn some lessons or kind of experience some things about what it was like to be like overweight in America when she was wearing the fat suit. People, fat, fat, fat suit. Yeah. People would actively not talk to her or avoid her. Ah. Whereas you know when she's delightful, Gwyneth Paltrow, she's delightful, Gwyneth Paltrow. And, uh, so you think you know, that inspired I'm, I'm, Goop? Maybe. Mm. I need to empower these women to smell like my vagina. I, I don't know. More, more on that later. Uh, <laughs> um, um, it, yeah. It, financially, it was uh, a success. Yeah, forty million dollars to make, um, and uh, box office of one hundred and forty-one million. Yeah, uh, critic right, and, and a star is born in Jack Black. Yeah. Yeah. You know, this was his first major role. Obviously, we had a whole Jack Black episode. We have, yes. Uh, a while ago. And, um, I mean, I'm just trying to click up on his Wikipedia. <laughs> now. Well, because, um, the record store film, um, High Fidelity. That one, yeah. Uh, that, uh, was the, a year or so beforehand. 
That was the year before. Yeah. So I think that was his kind of coming out moment as an actor. Yeah. Um, but then, as you say, this is his first kind of starring role. And then yeah. uh, What Dreams May Come, School of Rock, two oh, years two later. Two years later. Yeah. 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 So, um, anything more you want to say about Shallow Hal? I mean, it's pretty poor. <laughs> um, it's not... Uh, it's a film that I can actively watch but think this is awful, but also enjoy it, if that makes any sense whatsoever. It does, and again, it's not near... <laughs> Damning with faint praise, it's not nearly as bad as I dreaded it would be. Because mm. sometimes we'll put in things knowing that they have the potential to be right stinkers, especially if one right. of us has seen the other <laughs> uh-huh. before. <laughs> um, but so I was, I, I make no bones about it, I was dreading watching this one. Oh, really? But it, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't bad. Um, very middling, which some would argue is probably a worse thing to have done but there's still <laughs> yeah. I mean don't get me wrong there's still bad taste jokes in there and everything but um not as many as you think mm. what actually one last thing Go on. for um the the wrestling fans listening uh there is uh an appearance by uh, former WWE champion who uh, got released uh, very recently um his Real name is Nick Nemeth. Uh, his WWE name, it's uh, very serious and um, dour. Uh, Dolph Ziggler. Oh, I've heard that guy. Yeah, Dolph Ziggler was in the initial nightclub scene. Um, oh, cool. But before his bleached hair and everything. Good, so good for if him. If you've got the pause button out and you really want to see a young Dolph Ziggler, you can. Cool. That is everything oh, I want to say. <laughs> there is one thing we, we've not mentioned. Okay. The bizarre appearance of that character who had spinal bifida. Um, oh, the, the, uh, yes, yeah. I've forgotten his name. Is it Ralph? Yes. The, the guy uh, that, um, Jason Alexander really hates. Yeah. That, what, you don't like Ralph? No, he's all giving it the big, big all and everything. It was um yeah. What was the name of his? Oh, not Ralph. Thing no, Ralph got... was the boyfriend. Oh yeah. Okay. What was he called? I know what you mean, uh... though. Walt. Is it Walt? Walt. Yeah, Spider Bifida. That. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, I don't know why he's in there. I mean, not that I didn't like him as a character. He's he's clearly not a great actor. Um, but he's, I don't know if he was just mates I with mean, the Farrelly's. Per- yeah, perhaps, he can come into our film. you can argue, it's again shame that Hal wasn't necessarily all that shallow to begin with if he was accepting of a man with... Spina bifida, I guess A disability. So. It's like literally just confined to his view of women. Which confu- Maybe. Which if, if that was what they were going for, just confuses the morality of the thing even more. It does, but then that's clearly not true because it affected how he saw Ralph the boyfriend and Lee Boy. Well, yeah. So uh, apparently, yeah. according to the film's merits of Rennie Kirkby, the man with spina bifida, 
um, or his character is not like walking on two legs. He must be a, a wrong'un. Yeah. But there he is being lovely. What? Who knows? Who knows? Inconsistent Farrelly's. Yeah. Go home and write the green book. <laughs> Again. Again. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's, it's a weird mixed message movie. Yeah. Um, there, there are laughs to have and a lot of them are innocent laughs. Um, but ultimately it fails in many ways. <laughs> Fair enough. It's rare to have a film that we can talk down on in this podcast. Yeah, we've, we've not had that many bad films of late, yeah. to be honest. But I, I still would stop myself short of calling this a bad well, film. Well, exactly. Which um I just helps. think it's <laughs> terrible. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Anyway, let's, let's stop talking about complicated things. Yeah. And let's go to our main event of today's episode. A nice, easy to understand, straightforward, um, good morality tale based on the seven deadly sins. And that film is Seven! The feel-good hit of the summer. (laughs) Do you like what you do for a living? These things you see? You have to wear blinders sometimes. Most times. Detective William Somerset is looking for a way out. You're retiring. Six more days and you're all the way gone. So how long have you lived here? Too long. Detective David Mills is looking for a way in. We'll be spending every waking hour together from now until the time I leave. I'll show you who your friends and enemies are. Look, I'm going to come inside five years. Not here. Now, they're caught in a game. No fingerprints and no witnesses of any kind. Nope. About the only thing we know about that guy right now is he's totally insane. Where the price of sin is death. There are seven deadly sins. Gluttony. You're going to come take a look at this. Greed. No one touches anything. Sloth, wrath, pride, lust, and envy. Seven. You can expect five more of these. Body was found on Tuesday morning. I hate this city. We're gonna get who did this. This will be the very definition of swift justice. There are two more bodies, two more victims. This guy is methodical, exacting, and worst of all, patient. He's laughing at us. He had a gun. He's two murders away from completing his masterpiece. Let's finish it. Brad Pitt, Morgan Freeman, Gwyneth Paltrow. Have you ever seen anything like this? No. Seven. Seven is a 1995 crime thriller film. Uh, It's Halloween. Full of ghosts. Ghosts and goblins and the seven deadly sins. Uh, It's directed by David Fincher, starring Brad Pitt, Morgan Freeman, and 
Gwyneth Paltrow. And it's all about crime in a mysterious city where it always rains. And um, the brand new detective on the beat, that being Detective Mills, uh, with his lovely wife, uh, played by Gwyneth Paltrow, um, comes in on the beginning of a weird series of murders, which eventually it's discovered have a central theme, the theme being the seven deadly sins. And they have to go around trying to work out who's doing it, what's going to happen next, talk about life generally being a little bit shit, and why we do the th- excuse me the things we do, and eventually things come to a head. So yeah, <laughs> um, I uh, I'd seen this film uh, a few times before. I was trying to kind of nail down exactly the first time I had seen it. I think it was on Channel Four at some point um, in the. 2000s, late 2000s, 2010s, um, and I would have watched it on then, because I remember it kind of cutting to an advert break, um, so that's kind of informed my decision on that one, um, but then subsequently have then uh, got it for myself and watched it a few times over the years, just because I find it, um, it's very densely packed of a film. Uh, and there's always something kind of new and lurking in the background, or like if you decide to pause and kind of look at a background detail or something. Um, there, there's there's a lot of things to go back and admire about this this grisly, horrible <laughs> film. Um, but yeah, brother, what's your history with the film Seven? I saw it. Um, I think. It was after leaving school. I can't remember precisely when, but within a year or two, I couldn't say for sure whether it was Gap Year or whether it was at university, but I'd definitely seen it by the time I'd finished university. Um, again, because too young to see it at the time, wouldn't have wanted to have seen it at the time either. Oh, no, it's terrifying. Yeah. Um, I was aware of it because, again, I'd seen posters of Seven before. Exactly where, I couldn't tell you, but it was always something I was aware of, and it was one of those films that was, um, a kind of attributed to Pitt and Freeman for obvious reasons, they were in it um, as one of their kind of big films from the 90s I mean, arguably both men's film careers really came to prominence in the 90s even Freeman as old as he is um, as as we covered in uh, his own dedicated episode and um, I remember that I was very struck by the tone of the film, like the cinematography, the editing, the dark, relentless, grimy nature of the film, which is encapsulated from the get-go with the title sequence, and how it basically never lets up apart from when you're in... Uh, the Mills' apartment or when Somerset is in the library. Otherwise, anywhere outside of those two kind of sanctuaries and one of those, I'd say, kind of semi-ironically, um, is otherwise just bleak and unremittingly grim 
Um, and it's basically the kind of film we were always kept away from as children. So it was, um. For good reason. Oh, yeah. Well, as, as children. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, you know, if, if I was a teen, certainly in my late teens, it probably wouldn't have been a problem. But that notwithstanding, I thought the fact that it was a very unrelenting film really stood out. And then uh, also, you have to say, quite gruesome. Yeah, it's grisly, it's gruesome. There's a lot There's a lot of um, modern psychology on the go as well. Yeah. Um, it references a lot of literature, which would have been way over our heads as kids. Um, Just like Mills. And... So Just like Mills. And yeah. Mills. Yes, yeah, quite. Um, yeah, th- there's a lot of layers to this film. And the, what I like about this film generally is that it's, on the face of it, it's a kind of a, a murder procedural um, where you've got seven murderous uh, murders, <laughs> seven murderous murders um, that are themed and it's about two policemen trying to find the baddie. Um, with hilarious consequences, but then underneath that there is a kind of a, a kind of a investigation of psychology and the reason why people do the things they do and why Mills is retiring or not retiring and how people treat him in this kind of godless place or very angry place. Um, it, it's not just a kind of a crime film it delves into all sorts of different psychological things too um and the kevin spacey character oh no um at the end of the film um lays a lot of ugly truths or untruths um at the at the doors of the characters and each has their own kind of responses to that or, or ways of mulling that over and i think the film invites you to make your own decisions about these things as well it's not just a, a grisly horrible murder fest it's it's also a, a kind of chance to examine the state of society in 1995 um and like how religion has a place or doesn't have a place within it at the moment and people's morals generally, whether they are God fearing or not. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I also remember, I didn't mention in my kind of preamble that the other reason I would have uh, known about the film seven is that Adam and Joe did a version of it with uh, their kind of toy oh, mock-ups right. um, of, of popular films of yeah. the day. Uh, and theirs was about the seven dwarves. <laughs> and all the all the uh, murders were kind of themes around happy, sneezy, bashful, and so on. Like one of the toys laughed their sides o- open because they were watching Teddy Murphy. <laughs> Teddy Murphy, very funny. Um, yeah. There are like there are seven dwarves, currently, rather than seven deadly. So, yeah. You know. Um, so yeah. Where do we start with this one? Eh? Um, can we talk about how? grimy this film is how disgusting yeah, and I think, wriggly um, and dark I, th- I think the Saw franchise owes a lot to this film I mean uh, for better or worse yeah. Um, it's yeah it's an ugly town um, It's I think it's unnamed for a reason Yeah. because um, I don't want to be like the Simpsons and name check New Orleans <laughs> um, but you know I will not defame terrible, New Orleans horrible, <laughs> yeah I mean, there's all sorts of horrible things going on, but like in uh, what was the last episode we talked about the the the, 
setting being a character as well. You could definitely say that the, the location is a character because it's so dark and morose and wet and like there's never a moment of ease like even within the the apartments there's the rumbling of a train yes um which which they they turn into a kind of moment of hilarity to kind of bond the characters together but throughout the whole film there's no let up it's just unrelentingly ugly um all the way through and it's horrible it's just awful but it's great (laughs) yeah um, I mean, for my part, it's tonally, the fact that it's tonally consistent is a big help in putting over the grimness of the subject matter. Cause yeah. otherwise, a film that's about a retiring cop doing a handover for his hotshot new up and coming younger replacement wouldn't be terribly interesting. That's fair. Um, the fact that the victims, um, are so fucked up, um, that is a, a big thing about the, the kind of horror aspects of the film and yeah. what happens to them. Um, the sloth one, I think, is particularly ghoulish. The one who's like, it turns out they're alive. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, that was legitimately. I think out of all of them, that is the kind of the creepiest. I mean, there is. It's the seven deadly sins. So you've got um, gluttony is the first body you see, which is someone who has literally been forced to eat himself to death until his yeah. stomach bursts. Yeah. And then you've got um, lust, which is later on in the film about. Somebody having being forced to wear a prosthetic with a knife at the end of it and have sex with a prostitute. Um, there is um, envy. Uh, I can't remember which one was envy. Was it the the lawyer was envy? I think so. Yeah. And then pride was the like call for help or take the pills and like um, the cutting their nose off to spite her face thing. Yeah. Um, but then wrath and. No, Envy, no, well, en- I, I remember which one was Envy, yeah. En- en- Envy's, um, Envy and Wrath are safe to, yeah. to the end, yeah. Yep, 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 yep. But out of all of them, yeah, Sloth was just rank. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, but it's it's done with a certain style and a certain flair, um, where, like, the the idea of this John Doe character is a hugely interesting one. He's setting up these elaborate, disgusting set pieces, um, like a trail of breadcrumbs for them to not find him per se, but they do find him because of some um, unorthodox policing methods, shall we Under say. Under the books uh, methods from mm. uh, Detective Flash. Yes. Num, num, num. Um, but yeah. <laughs> his, his credit is greasy FBI, man. <laughs> I mean, that's fair. Yeah. Is he the same guy who Batman dangled upside down after that he stole That is Detective from a... Flash, yes. Uh, oh, I see. That's why you made that reference. But also uh, him from Memento as well. Uh, okay. The motel right. guy. Typecast as a grizzly man. Yeah. Sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, 
Yeah, I don't quite know where to penetrate this film. It's a David Fincher film. Yes. And we've come across David Fincher before, haven't we? Uh, twice in one episode. No. Uh, was it Brad Pitt's It was Brad Pitt, is it? Brad happened? Pitt loves David Fincher. Clearly. Vice versa. I mean, Seven was a very important film for David Fincher because um, he'd basically sworn off directing films ever again. So unhappy was he with his previous film. Now, Alien without looking, Alien Three. I'd uh, already looked. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> yeah, basically, the studio kind of took over. I think he was fired before it got completed, and basically, everyone agrees Alien Three is a mess. Um, yeah. Kill me. Yeah. Uh, well, that's Resurrection. Um, <laughs> oh, really? Alien Three doesn't even get that. Oh, okay. Um, I mean, it, it's got its. Um, points um donovan's uncle's in it um, i was gonna say this is the second time in two months <laughs> we've name checked <laughs> but um oh, alien three and don and his connection to it um but yeah seven gave him the creative uh freedom to get him back into uh pun not intended the game his next film was called the game and, hey. and then that followed up with uh, Fight Club, which we covered for uh, Brad Pitt month. Uh, Panic Room with uh, Jodie Foster. Cool. Uh, Zodiac, which was to do with the Zodiac Killer. Hang on a minute, another murder film. Another murder film. There's been a murder. Uh, and then, but so basically, Seven stopped him being a one and done film director basically i mean before that he'd done music videos and tv and such like but uh yeah this was a very important um film for him and uh he you know he clearly brings a lot to this which you see kind of refined for fight club um fight club which i think is a better film but by all means um Challenge me if you disagree. Um, I think it's the flick chart argument. <laughs> it's very it different. Sure is. But, um, yeah, and, and so a lot of the visual style is down to him uh, and how it's done. And also he was instrumental in a fair few things along with Pitt, which includes uh, the casting of John Doe and then mm. also ensuring that the ending was as it was indeed um so there are lots of uh potential uh endings and again it was a case of uh very much fighting with the studio but again this is a case where fincher was able to win now in part because he had the backing of brad pitt who was like the biggest star in the world at the time yeah. Um, and I, I would say that seven did a lot for pitt as well because it takes him out of his hunky legends of the fall phase and gets him into more, <laughs> more se serious fare um but uh yeah they they campaigned very heavily for the the ending we got which was pretty much the bleakest of all endings that you could get but, but without it would we be talking about gwyneth paltrow today well that's the thing and we, we should because it can't be disputed that Quinnif Paltrow in this film is on screen about as much as Max von Sydow in Shutter Island. 
she's ultimately very important to the film. Yes. And she brings... I mean, I think she's the only female character in this film, apart from that prostitute well, that they hire to... She's the only kind of named character rather than the, the victims of the film. I guess so. I think, moreover, she's the one that grounds the film in the humanity whilst yes. also being removed from the horror. It's like yes. she's just starting to descend into it on the basis that they moved into this shitty city. It's like Somerset is grounded, but he hates the job. He hates the environment. That's the reason he's getting the hell out of there, which yeah. is why he really questions Mills wanting to be there in the first place. And, you know, even, even from when you first meter it's just the case that uh paltrow's character tracy is putting a brave face upon it but this is clearly not an ideal life for her it's like she loves the man um but everything else she doesn't and then we yeah. find find out later that she's got additional things on her mind which might be why she has to reach out to to somerset yeah. Rather than her husband. Cause, again, it, not only is it a shitty place to move to, she knows no one there. Mm-hmm. So she's latching on to her husband's, not even partner, her, the, the guy that her husband is replacing, just because he seems particularly cordial and nice. And it's... I mean, I wouldn't say that Somerset is not a nice person, but it, it's clear that he's worn down and he's as moral as the job allows him to be. Because, uh, yeah. you know, again, the the clues that got them to John Doe's apartment, he had to go under the radar for that. And then it's like, it, it looked like it would have been completely compromised if, um, yeah, <laughs> because of uh, Mills kicking in the door. If Mills hadn't then found said prostitute you were just talking about to to justify why they couldn't go and get a search warrant or anything like that. So, um, yeah. So, her role is important. So, it is pivotal. At the same time, it is small, but it's also highly billed because, I mean, Pitt and Freeman do the, the lion's share of the work. For this film. I mean, arguably John Doe also gets a certain amount of time, but that's exclusively at the end of the film. Yeah. Yeah, and and I think Gwyneth Paltrow does very well within her remit as the removed kind of innocent member, the innocent party in all this, uh, which ultimately makes the ending kind of that much more impactful. Um and, and I know it's this is a film in 1995. I'm pretty sure everyone's probably seen Seven or heard about the ending of Seven, but it's still worth trying to keep powder dry a little bit. Yes. Um, but the um, the ending is awful. Uh, as, uh, by it's bunch, grim. I mean, the certainly. ending is great. Yeah. Um, but it's dark and bleak, and the the presence of Gwyneth Paltrow's character makes it more impactful and that's only impactful because of the scenes that she shared earlier in the film 
um, where she's kind of being the the light to Mills's dark. And try to uh, bring the best out of Somerset. Uh, not even trying to bring the best out of Somerset, but but she did bring the best out of Somerset by giving him something to care about. Because um, at the beginning of the film, Somerset is ready to go and is generally disliked by everyone around him because he wants to do a good job in a yeah. place. Um, and Mills is there trying to be the hot rod, but ultimately kind of being a bit too bullheaded and Gwyneth Paltrow's character has to kind of set them down, simmer him down a little bit. And without her, they wouldn't have forged a bit of a friendship before the end. Yeah. Um, and it's a friendship that does exist. The whole film takes place within about... Within oh, it's a, a week. week. seven days. It's seven days, yeah. seven sins, seven dwarves, you know. <laughs> and on the seventh day... Seven brides for seven brothers. Seven brothers, absolutely. Committing um, seven felonies. Absolutely. At least. Seven angry men and the seven colours of the rainbow. Yes. Um, I'm trying to think of other seven things. Let's stop right there. Um, yeah. So let, let's not beat around the bush. She's not in it very much, but she is completely necessary. And I think she does a very, very good job. Especially because it's very early in her career. Um, yeah. She had not had starring roles up to this point. Um, I mean, she was starting to get cast in things. I mean, if this was 1995, she'd she'd be 24 um, okay. when this film came out. Um, this, this is going to sound harsher than it, it's meant to, but she was in a relationship with Piss at the time. Um, okay. So... There's there's something to be said about the chemistry, obviously. Uh, oh dear! What? What a thing to say, brother! I'm surprised at you. <laughs> there was chemistry between them. What? Yep. Yeah. What? <laughs> Were you insinuating? I was, potentially that might have had um, a hand in the casting. That's all I'm going to say. It might have. How dare It might have is all I'm saying as I rapidly go through the Wikipedia article. (laughs) (laughs) Trying to find it. I mean, maybe, but... uh... Ah, Pitt had recommended Paltrow after being impressed by her audition for Legends of the Fall. And Vagina. Well, <laughs> I don't know the exact timings of when they got together, but the relationship apparently started in 1994. So, cool. When this film would have started to have been made. So, okay, okay. Yeah. But despite the the circumstances surrounding her casting, she did a very good job in what is ultimately a limited role. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't have any problems with what she brings to the role as, a, as an actress. I think she's very, very good. Cool. Doctor Cox is in this film as well. Okie dokie. John C. McKinley. McKinley, yes. rather. He's like the the police guy. He's like that son of a bitch is alive. Oh fuck. Oh <laughs> shit. Fuck. The... Oh my god. He's Beautiful. like John C. McKinley playing an unlikable man. 
Not unlikable, just like very forthright and bullish with his opinions. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how much scrubs you've seen, but Dr. Not Cox a is uh, a, a complex guy, whereas in this film he's a simple guy. Yes. And it's nice to see him do other things. <laughs> and in Platoon, he's an arsehole. Oh, is he? Yes. Okay. You haven't seen Platoon? No, I don't like comedies. <laughs> I think you've been missold. Woke up this um, morning feeling, feeling fine. fine. <laughs> There's our outro music. Um, <laughs> uh, Brad Pitts and Morgan Freeman have both had dedicated horror episodes, but so will have touched upon this film whilst going over their filmographies. Yeah, but I mean both are very good in their roles. Freeman, in particular, was critically um, acclaimed for what he brought to the role. Right. Um, Pitt was seen as perhaps a bit melodramatic, but... Or the fact that... It would be unfair to say anyone could have played it, but, you know, Uh, he ended up playing it. I think just like Gwyneth Paltrow before her. Sure. I, mean, um, he, I think the only kind of OTT is there was in the box kind of <laughs> reaction. But otherwise, I think he does very well. Yeah. yeah. We should and also Kevin mention... Kevin Spacey! Now, here's the thing. Since the last time we mentioned Kevin Spacey, he mm. was dead in, I believe, a... I can't remember if it was a civil or a criminal trial of some of the abuse allegations put towards him. And that was seen as a kind of green light for him to restart his career again. Now, Mm. editorially... Also, with the death of uh, Christopher Plummer as well. There's nobody nobody left to... Editorially... I'd suggest that we don't rush to do a Kevin Spacey episode. <laughs> I mean, that's what he's hankering for. Don't give him what he that wants. That being said, depending on whether it was a criminal or a civil trial, he was either found not guilty on balance of probabilities, which would be civil, or he'd have to be convicted beyond reasonable doubt. De- There's a higher tariff, is what I'm saying. And... Right, so what he did might have been true, but it's not actually a legal or a, criminal a, thing. If it was a criminal trial, a jury would have to be beyond reasonable doubt certain that he did what was suggested that he did. Whereas, if it was a civil trial, they'd only have to say it's more likely than not that he did. Which is why I'm now thinking it was probably a criminal one, and the, like the burden of proof hadn't okay. been met. So, who knows? What I will say is he was very good and unsettling as John Doe. Yeah, annoyingly so. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I mean, I what I like about this film, or or liked about reading the 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 kind of extra stuff about the film, um, was that because he was uncredited in his role as John Doe, he didn't need to do any of the promotion. So he was. Quite happy well, that want... he saw it as a win-win. The, the reason he, they were so late in casting him is the studio didn't want to pay him <laughs> too much. Ah, fair enough. I think it was because he was a known quantity in terms of he was a recognisable actor at that point. Um, 
Glenn, I'm just looking. He was in Swimming with Sharks, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Yeah, so he 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 was known um, by 1995. So him not being in the publicity and not turning up until what the last 20 minutes? Yeah, that's thereabouts. Yeah, you know, it was a smart move on his part, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Well done. Another win for Spacey. But if I mean, facts are, facts are, if he's found not guilty, then that's what you kind of have to go with, unless you've got evidence otherwise. I mean, that's for law. Yes. But there's also there's the possibility that the law trials get things wrong. Oh, there's absolutely the distinct possibility it was a miscarriage of justice. But yeah, you know. Now bear this in mind. Yeah, I yesterday had my testicles <laughs> cut open. Oh, did you? I'd, you hadn't, yeah, you hadn't mentioned it. Yeah. And my pain in my lower half of my body at the moment is telling me something important about Kevin Spacey. Any other part He's of the He's a wrong un. <laughs> well, Don't you look, be fooled by his I'm, good acting ability. I'm not campaigning for us to do a Kevin Spacey episode, so... Fine. I, I wouldn't... Or if we do, <laughs> you'll be hearing a lot of this... <laughs> I can do what I want because I'm gay. Blah 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 blah. That's that's what he said. He didn't say I can do what I want because I'm gay. No, I may have accidentally groped people, but I am gay. But I should note, I only did it because I am gay. Which is a what? That's not the point. That's not the point at all. Indeed. Anyway. Um, there are other roles taken up by people we've come across in films before. Uh, the, the guy at the morgue is Reggie Caffey, who is Al in American Psycho, the guy in the street that Christian Bale stabs to death. Yes, no, I did see that. I thought he was, um, the, uh, the guy in Ace Ventura. The, the kind of tamed police guy. What? what but I was the, wrong. His his mate. Yeah. He he wasn't, but he was in another Jim Carrey film. Oh he right. He was in The Mask as the black oh. the black guy who gets shot during the uh, bank heist. Ah, uh, yeah. He's somebody got to it before we. Got that's it. what he's been in a ton of things. Like, have you ever seen? Um, the most recent Fantastic Four movie. <laughs> no. No. Let's not bother. <laughs> um, anyway. And I've also, not seen any of the MCU for a while now. <laughs> also um, from, well, I suppose from uh, from our Sandra Bullock episode, uh, the, the guard in the library is the guy who drove the bus in speed. Oh. Oh, yes, yeah. yeah. The kind of long, wavy hair. Yeah, yes. yeah. Cool. And there are others, but let's not extend... For... And many more. <laughs> yeah, let's not extend the duration of this review longer than it needs to be. Sure. Um... My paracetamol is wearing off. 
Fine. Um, anything else you think we've missed out with regards to Seven? Um, I'd like to talk about, I mean, I've already mentioned how the tone generally is dark throughout. Yeah. Um, that is also aided by the score, uh, the musical score and the soundtrack of the film, which is kind of dingy and dirgy and depressing. And, uh, you know, the whole film is started with, um, uh, a, a remixed Nine Inch Nails song. Ah. So you know that it's going to be dross and, <laughs> not, 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 not dross. No, that's the wrong word. Um, dark and depressing. Um, because it's Nine Inch Nails. I mean, Fincher would go on to work with Trent Reznor fairly yeah, regularly in later films. Well, rub my rump and call me Lewis. Uh, <laughs> quite, quite frankly, your your anatomy has uh, played far too much <laughs> of a part of this episode. <laughs> Did you know the um, in Super Mario World? Do you remember those four rhinoceros on a platform going round and round? Uh, I do remember them. It'll be interesting how you link this back to your balls, but go they're, on. They're, no, no, no. They're, they are named Reznor after Trent Reznor. <laughs> I can believe that it's named Reznor. I'm yeah. less no, it convinced I mean, it was named... named Reznor in the United States and therefore Europe as well yeah. because of the the, the uh, localization team. Someone. It's the same reason why there's an Iggy Cooper and a Lemmy Cooper. <laughs> For Iggy Pop and Lemmy. <laughs> the face of the five pound note. Absolutely. <laughs> they can only be used once. Okay. <laughs> also, my balls. <laughs> uh, can only be used once. No, that's not true. Uh, they've been used Anyway, twice. so yeah, Seven is a good film. Yeah. Um, five stars. Or should I say seven no, stars? No. <laughs> get all over Dave Meltzer over here. I know. I right? would say that um, <laughs> New Line Cinema, the studio who made the film, proposed a sequel named Eight. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Um, ultimately, no, none of the people involved in Seven wanted to return. <laughs> so it was basically re purposed and uh, formed the basis of a 2015 film called Solace uh, okay. starring former Haas subject Anthony Hopkins, Colin Farrell and Jeffrey Dean Morgan and many more so yes, Seven, ultimately a very good film, the best David Fincher film only a flick chart forum will be able to determine that. Oh, fuck off. That's all right. I'm not doing that yet. Yet. <laughs> I'm currently going through another director's work at the moment. So. Oh, really? Am, yes. Tarantino? No, not Tarantino. Otherwise, I'd have invited you and awaited the inevitable refusal. Um, <laughs> I would do it, but I would complain heavily through Well, that's the thing. Just, yeah. just like our trip to Italy 20 years ago. <laughs> I didn't go. Which is why we didn't take you. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Okay, so that's Seven, everyone. And when we come back from this happy-go-lucky clip from Seven, uh, <laughs> we'll be talking about the filmography, the life and times of Gwyneth Paltrow. Did David tell you that I teach fifth grade? Well, I did. Uh, he mentioned it. I've been going around, you know, looking at schools. But the conditions here are horrible. 
What about private schools? I don't know. Why don't you tell me what's really bothering you, Tracy? David and I are going to have a baby. Oh, Tracy. I don't think I'm the... I'm the one to talk to about this. I hate this city. Oh, seven. Oh, it's so funny. Oh, oh, sorry. I was just watching seven. Uh, anyway, so it, uh, oh, oh, with all that taken care of, it's time to talk about uh, Gwyneth Paltrow and all yeah. her performances. Every single one. <laughs> now, I have, I have a. Uh, recent knowledge of having my nuts uh, interfered with, so brother, why don't you bore them off? (laughs) (laughs) No, I tell you what, I'm going to take the lead on this one, so I... I don't have that surgical equipment. (laughs) So, um, early days in her career, she became active around 1991 uh, as a young lad. uh, Last lad. Shut up. Um, She was in a film with John Travolta called Shout... Um, don't know what that's about, but she was also in that same year in Hook as she a was. young Wendy Darling. That will have been the first time I've ever seen her in anything. Yeah, that, that was in flashback, right? Yeah, it was literally her turning around going, Peter! And then she turns into Maggie Smith. Lovely. A round of applause all along. Cool. Um, in the next year, she was in a film called Cruel Doubt, uh, where she was acting opposite her father, Blythe Danner. Uh, oh, cool. Um, and then <laughs> she was in some films in 1993 as well. Um, she's two different roles in a film called Deadly Revelations or, or Revelations. And I think uh, that's all one uh, name, seemingly. Is it? Mm. Carol Ann Faggot Apple Garth Holland. Mm. I don't know. I've never seen it. Fine. Neither have I. Um, she was also in a film called Malice opposite Alec Baldwin. More on him later. Uh, and Flesh and Bone with Meg Ryan and Dennis Quaid. Start the reactor. Uh, in 1994. What? <laughs> she was in other things. Um, 1995 is when she was in Seven, uh, yep. as we talked about earlier. Also in a film opposite um, Kathleen Turner and Whoopi Goldberg, Moonlight and Val- Valentino, a comedy drama. Um, she was Patsy Jefferson in Jefferson's in Paris. <laughs> Uh, directed by James Ivory, who was made of elephant tusks. Um, and she was also in, uh, the, 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 what we saw earlier, the, the sequel to Seven, Hard Eight, in 1996, uh, directed by Paul Thomas Anderson, uh, with again, really? John, with John C. Riley and Samuel L. Jackson, uh, the expansion to the short film Coffee and Cigarettes. Really? Yeah. What? Can't be. Coffee and cigarettes was something else with the white stripes. If you... Anyway, um, she was also Emma um, in Emma. That is actually going to be worth talking about. Then let's stop and talk about it. Because um, for one thing, it would be her very first starring role. Yeah. And uh, what with it being an adaptation of a fairly famous Jane Austen novel... Um, she's playing an English protagonist. Indeed, starting a trend. 
or maybe not a trend, but you know. Um, that same year, she was also in a romantic comedy opposite Ross from Friends um, and Tony Collette called The Paul Bearer, a uh, comedy romance film. I bet that was humdiggity dog. You know how well the Friends actors Ooh. did. It was um, uh, the directorial debut of Matt Reeves. <coughs> who you obviously know from uh, Cloverfield... Uh, let the let me in. Let the right one in. Remake and the two of the Pl- Planet of the Apes films from the 2010s. In 1998, and um, the most recent Batman film with Sparkly Vampire Man. Oh, Sparkly Vampire Man. All right, I've still not Diggory. seen that actually. No, I haven't I should, either. I should watch that. I've gone right off superhero movies. Mm. They're just that's so prevalent. Yes. Who'd have thought that would be a thing? Yeah, who'd have thought saturating the market would be a bad thing? Uh, Goddamn Hollywood. Anyway, um, 1998, she was in Sliding Doors. Have you seen Sliding Doors? I haven't. I I saw clips of it in the music video to Aqua's Turn Back Time. Indeed. Uh, Shout out to Christian, who's a big Aqua fan. Um, (laughs) Reminds me of many of their hits recently. is, Is that what we're ending the episode on? Uh, no, no, maybe I'm not sure. Uh, but yeah, it's um, it's it's pretty good. It's sliding doors. Um, it's set in London. On is it set in London? Yeah, yes, I, I believe it is. is. Yeah, on the tube doors. Yes, yeah. I, I uh, yeah, fine. Um, she was then in um, also another adaptation of a classic work. She was in Great Expectations as Estella Havisham. Yes. Now, I don't know if that is meant to be Miss Havisham. Or a different Havisham. Uh, Estella's, no, di- Havisham Estella's different from Miss Havisham. Okay, fine. Uh, but she's obviously uh, important in that because she's semi-nude on the poster. Uh, um, there we go. Also, um, um, director. It's what? only our friend Alfonso from Gravity. Never. Yes. Wow. Cool. Look at him. How quickly uh, they forget. <laughs> Yeah, I know, right. Um, she was in a horror film, or a thriller film called Hush, um, where she was, uh, prominent there. Uh, the Perfect Murder, or A Perfect Murder with Michael Douglas. Oh, yes. uh, And Vigo, Vigo Mortensen. Um, and then obviously Shakespeare in Love. Mm. So yeah, she was obviously in her prime, th- in, in her prime then. Um, she was in the next year in The Talented Mr. Ripley ah. with Matt Damon. Yes. More on him later. And for Shagger. The Shagger. Jude Law. Oh, yes, of course. Everyone loves him. Um, well, he loves everyone. In... <laughs> she was in a few films in the 2000s, the year 2000s. Um, she was an uncredited uh, cameo. She was also in a romantic <laughs> film with... <laughs> she was in a... <laughs> she was You're a... really taking the piss now. <laughs> well, it's the only way to get through this happily. Um, she was in a film called Bounce. Um, with Ben Affleck, mm. a romantic drama. I wonder if they're still going out then. They rekindled yeah. their relationship through the film Bounce oh. before calling it off for good. Fair enough. Well, that didn't bounce back very far then, did it? Well, yeah. second bite at the cherry. I suppose so. Second bite at the Affleck. Um, in 2001, she was in aforementioned Shallow Hal and that hilarious film that we watched as teenagers, The Royal Tenenbaums. <laughs> so funny. Yeah. Oh, it didn't get it at the time. No, no, I haven't still watched it. Um, and then she had a cameo in the 2002 uh, classic comedy, Austin Powers in Goldmember, <laughs> uh, where she was the fictional character Dixie Normus. 
And uh, who had the line after hers? I think it was, hey assholes, <laughs> it's me, mini me. Well, actually, it would have been, um, um, Dr. Evil. It would have been Tom Cruise. Uh, not, not for Dr. Evil, it wasn't. Oh, who's Dr. Evil? Um, well, we've talked about him earlier. I wasn't Kevin Spacey. It was it? Kevin Spacey. Oh, God. <laughs> Who would have thought something from the Austin Powers movies would have aged <laughs> Especially Goldmember. I know, The right? best of the three. <laughs> oh, joy. Um, she, <laughs> obviously, she's, um, by this point, she's top of her game. Uh, and she's in a film called View from the Top. Oh, Jesus. Um, where she stars <laughs> alongside Christina Applegate, uh, Mark Ruffalo, and Mike Myers is in that film as well. Yeah. Uh, directed by Bruno Barreto, who of course was a Strictly Come Dancing judge. Um, she also played Sylvia, Sylvia Plath, um, who I don't know. Brother, do you know who Sylvia Plath is? She was a very famous poet, yes. Cool. Who was married to, uh, Ted Hughes. Of oh. Iron Joint fame. Did Ted Hughes do that book about a, uh, about a dogger? <laughs> if that's what's that? Oh, maybe. That was Shirley Hughes, sorry. Okay. Uh, um, in the film, Ted Hughes is played by Daniel Craig. Oh, cool. And Michael Gambon, R.I.P. In two- <laughs> Sorry, I don't know why that's funny. Too soon. <laughs> 2004, um, she was in Sky Captain World of Tomorrow, which you covered on uh, Pop Diction. We brother. did, yes. Tell me about it, because I can't remember listening to it. Uh, <laughs> in brief. It employed a similar visual style to Sin City, perhaps, but not quite, okay. not quite as Frank Millery. Um, and that starred for Shagger Jude Law and, <laughs> uh, former Haas subject Angelina Jolie. Hooray! Polly, she, she basically plays the kind of Lois Lane figure. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. Um, she's in some other films in the mid to late 2000s, um, most notably Iron Man, uh, in 2008. Yep. Um, which began her, I mean, she loves being in the MCU. She really does. <laughs> uh, she remembers every single performance she gives us Pepper Potts. Uh, I, th- I think someone's being disingenuous. Me? Never. Now, she, now, in fact, and I suppose someone like Don would probably know better than us, but she might be on interview somewhere saying, yeah, they're fine and everything, but I don't have a lot to do. I don't follow them particularly closely or, or something I mean, like I'm, that. I'm more referencing that she forgot she was in a Spider-Man film. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, was I? Was I in that film? Was I? <laughs> yes, you were right at the end. In fact, oh, yes. It was, it was a cameo. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but yeah. still. Um... She was in Contagion, which we'd previously mm. uh, covered. Mm. Um, but then so was she everyone. She was Patient Zero. <laughs> well, yes, to be fair. Including the shagger. Jude, Jude Law. Law. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Quite. No wonder um, Chris Martin was suspicious. I know, right? <laughs> mm. Now, from the 2010s onwards, she's been a bit more select in her non-MC. <laughs> Sorry, go on. In a non-MCU role. Oh, right, okay. Um, that's still funny, that's in, uh, Yeah, yeah. Uh, she was in a film called Thanks for Sharing, um, a comedy drama with um, The Hulk, uh, Andy Dufresne, uh, uh, Olaf the Snowman, and and, and Pink, uh, who's <laughs> legitimately in that film. Mm-hmm. 
Um, Iron Man 3, she has some things to do. Oh, look, a documentary film called Verunga, which sounds like... Um, well, welcome to slogan. Shooting Stars. <laughs> <laughs> she was in a Justin Timberlake documentary. Ooh. Uh, a narrator in The Man with the uh, in the Red Bandana. I like how um, the fact you've completely skipped over Mordecai. <laughs> for good reason. <laughs> uh, she was Joanna Mordecai. Um, she doesn't have a moustache, so the film was bound to fail. Yes. Um, if only she also had a moustache. Mm. Have you ever seen Mordecai? No, but I kind of feel like I'd like to, just to see have if Have you done it... a Johnny Depp munch? Mun- munch? munch? Um... <laughs> have you ever munched on Johnny Depp? Well... <laughs> I get slight issues with doing a Johnny Depp month, perhaps, but um, we haven't yet, and I'm not opposed to doing so. Sure. Let's let the heat die down a yeah. little bit from his uh, court cases. Yes. Yeah. Um, she was in a Coldplay documentary. Really? She was in more of the MCU um, and then she was herself in a film last year called She Said, uh, which she I believe is... She Said. For, by the Long Pigs, I believe. Oh, I was it, thinking about um, somebody it else. It was a big 90s indie hit. I think I was thinking of um, a Chase and Status song. Right. She Said. Yep, that's that's a different one. Uh, that was to do with, uh, ironically enough, uh, the women who helped bring down um, Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> well, that's not funny. Um, but the journalists Christ. who helped bring her down, him down. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah quite. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that's where her filmography ends. I know I've kind of skipped past a lot of things, but I think it's fair to say <laughs> that, that she's kind of... <laughs> She's kind of ridden the career trajectory of a lot of our um, featured actors where they're obviously in a lot when they're younger and they can afford to be more selective as they get older and kind of are maybe in a franchise film or have made their, their mega bucks. What she's not seemed to have done, and it's not a criticism, but she's not done what other people seem to have done and done much in the way of producing or directing work. Um, what she has, though, done instead of that is kind of turned herself into a sort of guru um, sort of thing. Um, with um, Go on, let's talk about it. The Goop Lab. Okay. Um, as far as I know, Goop um, is the company that she founded that is to do with health but in a kind of pseudoscience kind of way it's like a a modern kind of thing of the things that our auntie pam was kind of a, a, a big proposer of over the course of the 20th century please don't mention auntie pam okay. in the same sentence as goop okay so obviously i don't know Exactly. Basically, because it's America and people are yeah. more crass there, you are, you fucking crass people, Americans. <laughs> you goddamn crass people. Um, wow. You don't Fire's have the shame in. in mixing homeopathy with vaginas. And 
Gwyneth Paltrow saw a gap in the market. Pardon my phrasing. <laughs> and, <laughs> and has monetized. Oh, there it is. Has monetized uh, this kind of stuff for stupid people. Can I read uh, directly from the Goop Company Wikipedia page? As long as it's brief. Goop has faced criticism for marketing products and treatments that are harmful, described as snake oil, based on pseudoscience and lack efficiency, uh, efficacy yes. rather. California officials from the Consumer Product Office have sued Goop for false advertising, asserting that Goop has made unfounded health claims about a variety of products. They settled out of court. <laughs> They settled out of court. In uh, 2021, it was reported that over 140 Goop employees had left the company since 2019. Right. Hmm. I mean, the thing is, and Goop is the whole reason why she's pretty much taken a break from acting. And I, I don't mind people basically leaving one career behind to start another one or even just if they feel that they've made enough cash and can comfortably live without working for the foreseeable then great more power to you if your company is all about vagina candles and coffee enemas (laughs) and you know that kind of nonsense then uh I, I, I think where I draw the line is when you're essentially kind of scamming people. And I say essentially yeah. as an important caveat because, as I've said before, hey, an actor does not have a libel budget. So, no. Yeah. Just like very soon I will have no sperm oh. in my semen. Uh, <laughs> hey! An actor. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's I, good that you are metaphorically and verbally getting this all out of your system. I mean, if, that happened if yesterday. Anything, the fact that we couldn't have timed the subject better, really. <laughs> Unless we were covering a eunuch, then. <laughs> of course, if I type in Hollywood uh, eunuchs, then my algorithm <laughs> gets affected. <laughs> And tune in two months' time when we cover Tiny Tim and his very high voice. <laughs> Things that bother you never bother me. I'm happy and fine. Ha ha! <laughs> yes, uh, Mickey Mouse will be up. Did you yeah. ever hear Tiny Tim's cover of um, Do You Think I'm Sexy? Oh, I've seen the video it? and everything, yeah. Oh, it's incredible. Yeah. It's got a horn section. Of course it does. (laughs) It's his version and Kenny Everett's version that are the preeminent um, parodies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So that's Gwyneth Paltrow. (laughs) I mean, we've not mentioned her... The ski accident. A ski accident, uh, being married to the lead singer and songwriter of arguably the biggest band in the world, apart from you two. Um, I don't have a band. What? <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, uh, uh, yes, she was, she was married to and then consciously uncoupled from. Yeah, that was the phrase, wasn't Chris it? Chris Martin of Coldplay. 
consciously uncut. Who uh, wrote the song "Fix You" for her? Yes, when, when they... her parents were dying. Uh, well, her dad. Yes. Um, yeah, I believe Blythe Dan is still alive. Um, but yes, Bruce Paltrow passed away uh, within a couple of years of uh, the duets film uh, that they worked on together, and um, yeah, she took it very hard and. Uh, yeah, you wrote I'll, a beautiful song. Ultimately, it's, it's a nice song. Yeah, and uh, they <laughs> this this is where the alarm bells should have started ringing about uh, all things goop uh, by um, what she named her. Uh, well, what their children are named. Go on, Apple and Moses. Ugh. You know, I read something uh, just now that made me chuckle inwardly. Uh, Peter. Named Martin the sexiest, the world's sexiest vegetarian in 2005. However, he began eating meat again after his separation from Gwyneth Paltrow. Oh, right. Yeah. Well, there you go. There you go. <laughs> I don't know, good for him. Uh, yeah. he's, he, Take that, Peter. I mean, both of them have moved on. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's fair. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, just, just quickly on this whole ski crash lawsuit, because it was actually quite big news. Um, so, uh, what happened was there was a collision between her and a retired optometrist, uh, Terry Sanderson, uh, in Utah. Oh, sorry. And, um, <laughs> he, uh, he alleged that that caused permanent traumatic brain injury. Uh, Paltrow countersued because she is American. And uh, claimed, it was you who crashed into me. Uh, she saw the damages of $1 as well as the payment of her legal fees, which is more of a kind of sting in the tail. It went to <laughs> trial in March this year, with Sanderson claiming damages of $300,000. And the jury found that Paltrow was not at fault, that Sanderson was at fault, and duly awarded Paltrow a dollar. She won a dollar, a dollar, a dollar is what she won. Um, And the trial basically was a big... Because in America, they televised trials. Yeah. And so the cross-examining came in and, like, the Mr. Sanderson's lawyer openly fangirled in the presence of Gwyneth Paltrow. And then it turned out this guy who was said to have received a permanent traumatic brain injury... It should be noticed he wasn't a paraplegic or any... I don't think he was. But he'd gone, like... It turns out, since the accident, he'd been across to Europe many times. He'd gone ziplining. He'd done all sorts of kind of activities that someone with a permanent traumatic brain injury would not do. So it turns out he was pretty much taking the piss. Um, No. Yeah. Never. And that's the abuse of the legal system, folks. Oh, joy. I bet you have to deal with it every day. Oh, this arsehole. Every other week, yeah. He's he's always making flight delay claims. What a wanker. Because he's always flying. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Anything else about Paltrow? And if not, I mean, what do you think of when you think of Gwyneth Paltrow and Um... favourite films or whatever? 
I don't know. I think she's now tied to Pepper Potts in my mind. Right, as, yeah. As a kind of... Because Pepper Potts is probably a, a character she doesn't need to put too much effort into. Um, mm. And I get the feeling she wouldn't dispute that claim. Um, I feel like that is her... And she would behave exactly the same way if she was like married to an eccentric billionaire. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I think that that's where I will mostly remember her from. Obviously, I know her from Shallow Hal and from Sliding Doors, and, and now from a Shakespearean love. Um, yeah, she she strikes me as someone who's done very very well out of Hollywood. This may be gone a little bit to their heads potentially. Um, I mean, and, she is a, a nepo baby. And, and as, as Nepo. the daughter of a, or Nepo. Nepo as, baby. That makes more sense. Yeah. Um, as the daughter of a Hollywood director. Yes. And a, an actress. Yes. Um, but yeah. even then. You know, doesn't... Jamie Lee Curtis has done well out of it and she's yeah. talented, so you know. Yeah, well, that's, that's the thing. I mean, there's nothing to say that you can't have a very good career just because your parents are famous. Yeah. yeah. So. I think if we start cancelling people who had famous parents. Yeah. We wouldn't have much in the way of good films. I mean, put it this way. If we were hotshots in the world of accountancy, (laughs) would people hold it against us? Well, I don't know. Look look at the business world and how entire companies are called somebody and sons. True. You know. True. Of course you're going to pass it on to us. never did that, did he? Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't yeah. get the chance. No. Anyway, let's let's not dwell. No. Um, yeah. What about you? Same question reversed. Yeah, I mean, she because her career kind of came along at the time I was growing up and getting into films. Um, you know, she would have been towards the tail end of our days watching movies, games, and videos. <laughs> um, it's like that's why I can remember like the the clips are a perfect murder and great expectations, despite not having seen either film. Okay. Um, so she's always been kind of on my radar, even if I've not necessarily seen a lot of her work. But then it's like she's got hits peppered in with a few kind of lesser is probably an unkind way of putting it, but. Uh, less prominent films and then once she properly became an A-lister she became a lot more selective which is why by and large she's only been in films that are either pretty well known um, for Tar MCU that aren't MCU or um, she had a recurring role on Glee but I never watched that so no I never watched Um, that Sounds like it's for the good reasons. Yeah. And if, you know, if she goes back into acting, then good for her. That doesn't necessarily mean I'm I'm going to watch it. But, um, you know, it's up to her what she does. I just hope that, um, you know, she doesn't rip off too many people in... In her current business ventures. That's so a, let's hope. Not. I mean, I, to some extent, business is all about selling people stuff. Um, so, yeah. yeah. But there we go. Uh, but yeah, by and large, Gwyneth Paltrow, very good actress, uh, credible English accent, and uh, Oscar winner. 
So, yeah. and, you know, has got a whole new generation of fans through Pepper Potts to a, to an extent, and, to as much as a supporting character in MCU movies can, you know. In the same way John Favreau has a new legion of fans as happy, absolutely. happy Hogan. Yeah. Absolutely. What a happy guy. What a happy guy. Yeah. Cool. It's nice to know she can do whatever she wants to do, but please don't scam people. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Cool. So that puts her to bed. Yes. Night night. Uh as did our next subject, Ben Affleck. <laughs> I think that's a high-end segue, that. That is a brilliant Thank segue. You very much. Thank you. That's a gold standard segue. Thank you, kindly. Uh, if the, if the Tomlinsons had an award for best <laughs> segue. Uh. Well, in, in the, the feedback awards seemingly going up for grams, then, uh, <laughs> might, might be worth retiring. But uh, anyway, um, yes, we're moving on to Ben Affleck and thank you everyone who sent us uh, suggestions of Ben Affleck films um, to uh, take in uh, when uh, the request was put out on the Earth 2 forums. We've gone ahead and we've made our choices, and um, it doesn't look like every- anyone's got completely three for three, but um, some very good suggestions, and uh, we thought of them intensely between breaks in recording. And uh, so we're starting off um, uh, with the film I've never seen. So, brother, what have you picked for me? Well, I'm a glutton for punishment um, by evidence by my vasectomy yesterday. Um, So I've chosen for you Pearl Harbor. Pearl Harbor. There's something to do with vasectomy and Pearl that springs to mind, but I'm going to move straight on. Are you calling my testicles pearls? No, brother? I'm not. Uh, I had a completely different thought. Um, oh. But thank you. Oh, oh, but... pearl necklaces. Hard <laughs> <laughs> contextless update. <laughs> Shallow how this month, Pearl Harbor next. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> for you, brother. Okay, so this is one that has been suggested a lot, and then I also received counsel from Mike saying, I know I said this, but actually maybe don't do it, because it probably hasn't aged well. I'm like, ha Mike. Uh. I think that's the perfect reason to go back <laughs> and bring this one up. So for you, brother, from the auteur himself, Kevin Smith, who we've oh. not really discussed on this uh, podcast before, Certainly, we haven't, Silent Bob. We, we haven't covered one of his films before, certainly. Oh, okay. So um, that is going to change because I am nominating Chasing Amy. Oh, quick, get her. Right. <laughs> and um, finally, after these two uh, controversial picks, potentially, um, the final review uh, we're going to make in the next episode is going to be one of his directorial flourishes. Oh, as uh, well as starring as well. Well, yes, otherwise it would render the episode pointless. Um, so the one, the film we've gone for is uh, Argo. Ah, mm. go. That's the one. So that's Pearl Harbor, Chasing Amy and Argo in the next episode of Hey an Actor. So please... 
Get your thoughts and suggestions in. Please, please get your thoughts and suggestions. I mean, and at your the feedback. Moment, yeah, we need feedback at award nominees. Yes. Otherwise, someone's just going to win by default. I know. And no right. one wants that. Who will that, that be? Apart no. from Christian. Because um, <laughs> he's the one in the frame. Um, so there we go. Uh, so yes, uh, those are our Ben Affleck films. If you have any thoughts on those films or on Gwyneth Paltrow or, I don't know, Viola Davis, Orson Welles, Eddie Murphy, anyone, really. Um, (laughs) Mainly ones we've covered before, but um, frankly, at this stage, we're begging, aren't we? Yes. (laughs) Are we above begging? No. No. And um, there are two things left to do. One is to announce uh, the featured actor after Ben Affleck, and the other is to actually get to aforementioned piece of feedback because usually that comes in the middle but um it wasn't paltrow specific so i can give myself a pass on that one but um so ben affleck's meant to be our october episode um which is um optimistic on our part but (laughs) we want to do two episodes before we get to the end of year one because the end of year one would then be episode 100 and uh, we've got all kinds of plans for episode 100, so stay tuned for those. But episode 99, between Ben Affleck and 100, um, uh... who do you think would be an excellent choice, or in the alternative, who, who'd be the best person to follow on from Ben Affleck, brother? Why, Matt Damon, of course. Okay, let's do Matt Damon then. Uh, oh, cool! Yeah, we're doing Matt Damon. Gwyneth Paltrow to Ben Affleck to Matt Damon. House. What a trio of lovers. Uh, <laughs> I mean, they probably have, haven't they? Well, um, again, more, more on that in Chasing Amy, but uh, okay, fine. Uh, we will get. We will be wanting uh, your suggestions for Matt Damon films uh, for our final episode before episode one hundred. They are allowed to feature Ben Affleck. That's not a problem. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and anything you can suggest at all, and we'll t- take counsel on them. Bear in mind, they do have large filmographies, but then that might be where next year comes into mind. So, oh, oh we've got plans, everyone. We've got plans. Oh, the places will indeed, go. Indeed, indeed. Uh, so, uh, get your emails in to Hey an Actor, and that is hey at earth-the-number-two.net, or you can make use of our Facebook page. So, um, please do those things. Yeah. Do them tomorrow. Yes. Yes. All <laughs> right now. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're, you can probably multitask. I, I really am. Yes. Good, good, good. Right, um, so before we go, I do have an email to read out. Oh, go on. Uh, it is from Christian. Ooh. And uh, the subject title is, Are They Dead Yet? Uh, okay. That, 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 don't worry, that's not, a, <laughs> that's not a shot at us, brother, don't worry. Um, <laughs> he's put it there. Christian writes, Greetings to the glitzy pandy and the glamorous Ian. Okay. Uh, I'd put it the other way around, but go on. <laughs> Just a quick question this time. Another film podcast I listen to and usually enjoy released an episode last month called 
Are we witnessing the death of the movie star? The titles refer not to the actual deaths of movie stars like the now late Michael Gambon uh, or Angela Lansbury, but the box office dominance of Marvel, DC, Fast and the Furious, etc., and the contention that their respective brands appear to count for more than the actors in them, even in the case of Tom Cruise and the Mission Impossible franchise, or the star powers of actors in general. The shift has also been lamented by Quentin Tarantino and Anthony Mackie, among other film professionals and media outlets. Do either of you think this is a valid concern for films and filmmaking going forward, or that it's factuous, hyperbolic, short-sighted, elitist, akin to the fear that cinema was dying prior to and even after the release of Barbie and Oppenheimer this past summer? Cheers, the reclusive Christian. P.S. You might have read between the lines and deduced how I feel about it. So so it's not a sentiment that Christian agrees with, but has posed to us. So, huh. the death of the movie star. I don't know about that. I think ultimately movies come down to advertising, and advertising needs a hook. And oftentimes the hook is the actor. Um and people want to see kind of familiar people. That being said, there is something to be said for the drive towards more diversity and uh, avoiding hiring the same people again and again and again and again. So, yes, maybe there is something towards that um, in terms of um, trying to take away the familiarity. Um, But no, I, I think if Movies are driven by money, and money is driven by advertising, and advertisers need a hook. Yeah, I mean, I think there's been a definite shift in how you would define a movie star, because in the kind of golden age of Hollywood, the the talkies, then uh, a lot of films would trade upon the star power of its stars. Um, so basically, uh, that, that's why billing was very important to certain people, like being top billed and, uh, Humphrey Bogart, Ingrid Bergman, Paul Heinrich, who it's, he demanded it, otherwise he wouldn't be in Casablanca. All right. And Paul (laughs) Heinrich. Um, but at the same time, that was all within a studio system in which actors could only do films that were being made by certain studios unless there was some kind of lease agreement or something like that. We kind of touched upon it a little bit in the Autumn Wales month um, and other ones from that vintage, like Judy Garland or Marilyn Monroe. But big name film stars, if, if you have made a movie star, then there's a certain amount of bankability that you would expect to come from it. So I don't think selling something on as being Fast and the Furious or Marvel, certainly not DC, bloody hell, um, is going to (laughs) work, especially as what we kind of touched upon earlier, that, you know, superhero films, whatever Kevin Feige or Feige might say, um, (laughs) who who knows? I don't. (laughs) 
<laughs> as I've proved. Um, but the, the fact of the matter is, like, the, the luster of those films is wearing off because it's been 15 years since Iron Man, you know. Right. Um, and people generally, I mean, there's, there's always going to be trends in films and there is a sort of creative bankruptcy from, oh great, Fast and the Furious 11, oh great, they're bringing back the Saw franchise. But, mm. you know, ultimately you still need good actors to carry a, a franchise or a series or something like that. And often the best actors are the character actors holding things up and making people look good. Um, it's like, nowadays, arguably, Leonardo DiCaprio is the biggest star in Hollywood. I know Christian hates him, but, um, <laughs> but it's... You know, an unalloyed fact. Um, and okay, perhaps he doesn't go in to do a lot of commercial blockbusters, but a lot of very good movie stars do. Samuel L. Jackson has been in pretty much every franchise going. And, you know, what, what of it? If, you know, if he likes the deal and, you know, they're prepared to pay him, it's business at the end of the day. I don't think a movie star is going to go away. I think studios might be trying to diminish it, actually, with the strikes that have been on this year. Um, like trying to bring in AI or the kind of Back to the Future technology to replicate Crispin Glover. Um, and, you know, yeah. so it's something that studios... That hive technology. Well, it's something the studios have been trying to do since the late eighties. So you know, yeah. the the best part of thirty years at the very least. So there's always going to be in a capitalist society, we want to make as much money as possible with as few ahead overheads as possible, which usually comes in the form of actors, but audience are driven to films by the quality of actors usually yeah yes um i would be interested to see what happens in a few years though when you're kind of your samuel jackson's and your robert downey jr's whatever when they retire or move on and the the youth um of of cinema comes to the fore whether they will still be kind of expecting or expected to have like their name in lights above the, the doors or whether they are more willing to take a bit of a back seat or or will have been phased out i don't know oh i, th- I think no you, there's never any shortage of actors or people who want to be actors. no but like I, I i'm i'm talking about their well not their morals but their their priorities i mean uh, of I think the ultimately it, it will. Well, well, both. Okay. Like when, when the kind of if they are driving towards trying to phase out, if there is a calculated effort to try and phase out the movie star, um, which seems a I bit think that's next to impossible. Short-sighted, yeah. You know, you... And why would they want to do that? Because you need. I mean, oh, I, I suppose if you if you could fully automate a film. Is I think James Cameron is trying to. Um, James Cameron. Yeah. <laughs> That's a whole different Fuck kettle right of fish. Off. But yeah, yeah I, I think 
ultimately, as I say, there's going to be a never-ending supply of actors to fill the roles. It's been done in Hollywood, time immemorial. Um, studios might come up with ways to lessen the field or the opportunities, potentially. But, uh, I no, I, I think a movie star's not going away, ultimately. Cool. Because I think... Possibly because studios have been too greedy, what with franchises, and I think Netflix has shown its propensity for greed and cancelling things after a series so they don't have to pay residuals and things like that. So, yeah. And people with more industry cred and knowledge can go, can give bigger deep dives into it as well. But, um, yeah. Brother, I'm falling asleep. That is fine. That is the end of my thought process. <laughs> I am literally, I mean, curtain back. We're recording this episode from my sick bed. Um, oh, really? Has something happened, I, brother? Oh, well, funny you should ask. Uh, I had a vasectomy yesterday. Oh, really? And, uh, you know, it, it wasn't awful. I'm being a brave soldier. Oh, but uh, they've advised me bed rest, and bed rest is what I'm having. But I legitimately find myself almost nodding off whilst you were talking. No, that's <laughs> par for the course, usually. <laughs> Um, oh, hang on. <laughs> well, some, some something has uh, clouded your best efforts, brother, because we've had a last-minute email in. Oh, really? Just yeah. the one? Just the one. Really? Try refreshing. <laughs> it's the only one Mike's forwarded through to me. Oh, really? So, so in that you're falling asleep, we'll just oh. fi- we'll just finish on this one. Subject <laughs> header: Will Smith. Oh, no. No, there's, there's, that's not the first one. Oh, never mind. Well, Go that's on. the only one that's been forwarded through. Uh, okay. Will Smith from Andrew Wilson. <laughs> what a fur. Seven pounds. Hitch. Come on, guys. I want to enjoy watching these films. Your format isn't worth me sitting through fucking Hitch. God damn it, Ian. <laughs> Pathlon. <laughs> Now, the last time this happened, Pandy was drunk off his tits. Uh, I mean... Still, he's now a contender for a Tomlinson, so the rest of you up your game. Hey, at earth-2.net. I think you'll find there are more emails to come. Let's save them for next time, shall we? I'll look forward to it. And I'll... Let's... Well, I'll, I'll let Mike know. But until <laughs> the next episode with Ben Affleck, Mum, <laughs> it's goodbye from me, the ungelded Ian Wilson. <laughs> and me. Uh, who am I? Yeah, goodbye.
You've heard what Bernard Manning said. <laughs> Let's move on <laughs> to the film that I've not oh, seen before. Anniversary of his death a couple of days ago. Was it? <laughs> yeah. Why would you mark that? Well, because it's, it's worth remembering. Okay. Right, sorry, hang on. Just pause for a second. I've just got to mark that off as something to cut out of the episode. What a fucking disgrace. Ah. <laughs> uh disrespectful a woman threw up her own pelvis (laughs) (laughs) Joss Eklund's spunky backpack (laughs) oh it's so hard to go back to that episode despite the fact it's the best episode because the MP on it's the one that got murdered yes that's why I said yeah it's it's been two years since his Oh, I thought you were talking about Bernard Manning. No, (laughs) no, fuck Manning. (laughs) So, why are you marking the death of Bernard Manning? I'm not. (laughs) Well, that makes more sense now. Talking about MP David Amos, MP. (laughs) Why is Pandy warning Bernard Manning? I don't remember those DVDs on his shelf (laughs) next to Pay the Ghost. Like I say, terrible taste in films, my wife. (laughs) (sighs) Me, apparently, terrible taste in comedians. Bernard Manning, Jim Davidson. Oh, don't get me started on my love for Jim Davidson. (laughs) He had the hilarious comedy sketch. I I thought you passed the buck on to Kel. (laughs) Uh, She went to go see Peter Kay the other week. Oh, yes, that's right. Um, And had a lovely time. Apparently the only reason Peter Kay wanted to get on the worst episode of Doctor Who in the world is he wanted to say Dalek Bread. Hey! Dalek Bread! And they cut it out of the episode, and it was the worst episode ever. And everyone had a very, very fun laugh at the fact that it was terrible. I mean, he was an alien designed by a Blue Peter viewer, so... Yep. The market quality. I didn't actually finish... Um... Oh, yeah, you, shallow how. I'm going to cut all this out. Oh, you, you should definitely make this the outro. I think I will. <laughs> I, I hope it's been good enough. I'm sorry. <laughs> imagine trying to do something with constant ball ache all the time. <laughs> sorry, you've been married ten years. In the spirit of Bernard Manning. If this doesn't drive the listeners back in, nothing will. <laughs> back? <laughs> Do you mean we hit a recession? Yeah, well, we haven't had any feedback this year. Well, whose fault is that? Oh, kind of ours, but still. Yeah. Anyway. I think mostly yours. <laughs>